Welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast and this our annual review of the year retrospective where we peel back the layers of the year that was and assess the bounty of shows that the last 12 months has offered up to us. We'll be running through our official top 20 of the year, talking about some worthy additions that didn't quite make the cut and maybe looking at a few of the shows that fell through the cracks over the course of 2019. Oh, and Brian Cox will be stopping by to talk Logan Roy, deplorable characters and all things Succession Season 2. I am James Dyer, and as you might expect, I am joined by my own collection of deplorable characters. To my left, a woman who joined Game of Thrones for the final season, loved every minute of it, and then was away for the finale, forgot about the whole thing, and never looked back. It's Terry White. <laughs> How is your Game of Thrones from the ground up watch going? That's so accurate, because when I was... Um considering preparing for this podcast which is about as far as it got um, I was thinking I was thinking what's my opinion on Game of Thrones I can't remember didn't watch the finale thought it was good there's a dragon and um, uh, uh, angry women and walkers what white walkers walking yeah yeah all of those good things <laughs> hi oh, well. James hi hi Joining us to my right, a man who, like Terry, this year finally got to watch both Farscape and The Expanse, and I think we can all agree is a far better person for it, it's Boyd Hilton. Yes, and I know the difference between them. Yes, you do. Because for a long time, I just thought they were the same thing. I think Terry did as Me well. Me too, yeah. Interchangeable things, things. Things that James likes that no one else gives a shit about. Yeah, they yeah. just all get filed on yeah. that one heading, don't yeah. they? Especially like sci-fi things that James likes that no one else gives Yeah, but you about. enjoyed them both, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed... Yes. I mean, I wouldn't say I've gone back and watched many more episodes of either of them. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I enjoyed them. You will be shocked to hear that I have, of course, watched all of The Expanse now. Of course now. you yeah. have, yeah. Oh, it's very good. Great. Very good. Yeah. Um, right, okay, we've got lots to get through. An entire year's worth, in fact. So to kick off, and before we dive straight into the big old list, what did we think of the year that was? Well, I mean, I bore myself by saying this, but I do say it every, for the last few years. I think every year there's more and more really, really good TV, borderline great TV. And I think this podcast alone is proof that every mm. week we have shows that usually there's at least one or two things that certainly I really like, and I know I'm famous for liking everything, which I feel is slightly unfair. <laughs> really? But even you two, <laughs> every, most weeks there's stuff that we think is really, really good. And I think if you look back at TV, the state of TV five, certainly ten years ago, it was not like this. It was like no. you'd wait weeks possibly months on end for a fairly decent drama particularly in scripted drama like ITV barely used to bother at one point mm. with scripted drama and now every other week there's something fucking really good do you look back on the days of yore when you didn't really have much work to do and, and look at that fondly and I had loads of work it was all about reality TV though <laughs> and the, the funny thing is that back back in the day at the height of reality TV which you won't know anything about no. people, people, people drama, dramatists used to say oh look, we're being frozen out and it's it's completely not happened. The the reverse has happened, and scripted stuff is dominating the world of television. It's good for the national IQ. I like to think. I like. We think we'll yeah, because claw, you're a pompous we'll twat. claw civilization <laughs> back from the world oh, of reality I nonsense. Oh, I, know. I, know. I think this this year is as the biggest challenge of this year has been. It has been slightly overwhelming at times. Yeah. So much good stuff. When will I get to watch it? How should I prioritise it? I think all of those challenges still remain, which is obviously why we exist in the first place. Not mm. us as humans, us as mm. uh, pilot. Bit of both. <laughs> also that. When you look at uh, the year ahead and when you look at, God, the years ahead of that, I think with the rise of kind of soulless streaming platforms and, uh, I mean... 
I'm feeling slightly overwhelmed already. I'm massively excited, obviously, but um, the TV landscape, like Boy just said, has changed significantly over the last five years. In the next two years, I can't even imagine what it's going to look like mm. in two years' time, um, which is mad and exciting. And you just know you're living in this really dynamic kind of, I hate to use this word, agile age where the, the ground is shifting under your feet and we're part of that. It is is funny, like when we said that we were going to first start doing this podcast and, and it was like, what are we going to do? Like, what's gonna, the pilot podcast going to be? And you were like, well, we'll just, we'll, re- we'll do like a bunch of new shows each week. And I said something along the lines of, really? New shows each week? Yes. As yes. if there are you enough did. shows to do that. And yet here we are regularly having to not do shows because there aren't mm. enough minutes in the podcast to cover everything that comes out. And on the one hand, TV, there's never been more choice. There's never been better quality television. And on the other hand, it's made my life so much more stressful because mm. the play list of media that has to go into my brain is so long now that it causes me constant anxiety because <laughs> I've got yeah. so much to get through and you know and occasionally like when I go off on like a work trip and I can't do the podcast there's, there's this beautiful sense of oh god what have I watch? absolutely nothing I can just sit back and read a book I was going to say and do you no you <laughs> no, don't no of course I don't I end up watching like reruns of The West Wing or The Expanse or something yeah. but, but the fact is you know at least the I have options there. the thoughts there the thoughts there now what I was actually going to do is I was going to go on, like, before we get into the big list of shows, I was going to get into a list of, you know, our favourite sort of scenes slash episodes of the year. But a press release arrived in my inbox this morning uh, from Freeview, and it's Freeview's most talked about scenes of the year. Oh. So I can't help feeling that this is rather limited in scope because I imagine it's only things that are on Freeview. So, <laughs> I, and this feels to me like a stinging indictment of Freeview in many ways. Number one, Love Island, the post-Casa Amor Black. Blowout. I've no idea what that is. <laughs> That's brilliant. No I idea. Just what enjoy- that is. I just wasn't expecting to hear those words uttered by you in this podcast. What did you say? The post Casa Amor blowouts. Do you know what that is? Yeah, uh, Casa Amor. Yeah, when is a is a is a is an element of Love Island, and there was a big argument after it. After after it. Right. Um, yes. Apparently, that was the best, yes. most, most talked about scene. It was. Of the it year. was. Uh, I, yes. And number two, Line of Duty, the final episode, and TV's best synchronized sitting, which seems a slightly odd thing to pull out from Line of Duty's awesome weird. season. Uh, apparently, they all sat down at the same time. That over, like, the shocking moment when Stephen Graham had his... Right! Oh, hang on. Right, okay, okay. We're going to now get into review of the year with no spoilers. Right. Right. So, okay, okay. Ground rules for this podcast. I should have got into this earlier on. Can't wait for this. Ground rules for this podcast is we, as ever, lead a spoiler-free life here at uh, at Pilot TV. So, this is going to be a broadly spoiler-free podcast, except for the fact there will be points where we clearly are going to talk about plot developments. If we are going to mention spoilers on a specific show while talking about that show, we will give you a warning so that you can skip forward 10 or 15 seconds and avoid the spoiler. So don't worry, there will be no unmarked landmine spoilers that will blow up in your face, except for almost the one that Terry kind of just did. So other than that, this is a spoiler-free zone, except where there are mine warnings. Okay. Good. Excellent. Brilliant. Wonderful. Incidentally, other things on this list I should mention. Britain's Got Talent, Simon Cowell gives comedian Kojo the golden buzzer. Don't know what that means. That's ridiculous. Dancing on Ice, Gemma Collins' epic tumble. 
obviously don't know what that is either. Number five, Luther, though, the unforgettable night bus scene. And that actually, I think, would be on one of my most memorable scenes of the year. Oh, yeah. Because it was like New Year's Day. It's yes. A year ago. Yes. But you know, like the creeping along the floor. Yes. Yeah, that's that's quite full on. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a bunch... God, it's almost all of this, all of the rest of this seems to be... Uh, celebrity stuff. Let's skip the rest of that yeah. and let's move on then, <laughs> shall we, to our list of the top 20 shows. <laughs> our top 20, the official Pilot TV top 20 yes. TV shows of 2019 yes. begins at number 20 with Shane Meadows, The Virtues. Terry. Yes, well, this is only on there because I insisted. Like, let's be clear about this. Terry, never show people how the sausage is made. Don't pull back the curtain. Let me tell you about the sausage. The sausage is James trying to dictate the list. Me, me and Boyd sending shouty emails and us all ending up slightly disappointed but somehow compromised. Um, so I still... And it is what when was it? It was spring, right? Yeah. It was it was spring, so it's quite it's ages ago. Mm. But this for me is one of my um shows of the year, and it will be in my top five um of the year. Huge fan of Shane Meadows, as anybody knows, Dead Man Dead Man's Shoes is the um is my number five favourite film of all time. Um Dead Man's Ugly Shoes. And Dead Man's Shoes is also on my number one, is my number one film of the century so far. But that's wow. um, by the by. Wow. Um, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's fact is also correct. <laughs> Thank you very much for noticing that. Um so I love the virtues for um a few reasons. Stephen Graham has had the best year of Stephen Graham's he life. He really has. I mean, you know, the Irishman, but also amazing telly line of duty. We've already mentioned the virtues, um, but the virtues brought together what I think is some of the best people making British telly right now. So Jack Thorne, obviously, was the writer. Um, Helen Behan, who was also just in Elizabeth is Missing, played mm. his sister. They and talking about scenes. There is a scene. This isn't a spoiler. They're brother and sister. They're reunited. And there's a scene in a bedroom um, where they essentially have their first kind of emotional reconnection. And it's hugely moving. There's incre incredible scenes of him before that kind of um, uh, really interesting stuff from a filmmaking perspective. He had the body cam strapped to him. There's just, mm. it's so innovative, both from a, I felt from a writing perspective, from a drama perspective, performances, um, from a craft perspective. I just think this was a massively standout piece of television. And just when you think Stephen Graham cannot find kind of new heights of performance, he really does. And it's tricky, right? Because Shane Meadows has a thing for making um, TV shows that are, and films that are incredibly devastating. And this he talked about in an interview with The Observer that he himself was abused as a boy and this is what kind of inspired this and he's essentially been wanting to make this. This has been sat within him his entire life and his entire career. Um, and I think that shows in this. I just think this is a stunning, stunning piece of British television. Yeah, it would have been definitely been my top 20. So, yeah, it was, it was only you that can't... No, 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 no. It was very, very good, and I thought it was wonderful at the time, but I have a reasonably low tolerance threshold for misery porn. Mm. Like, it's just like, there's there's just... I mean, the world you, is terrible enough. I don't need to invite yeah. it into my viewing time as well. You know, I can't... I mean, can't the fact that it. you're calling anything that's vaguely realist and dealing yeah. with... Realist, social misery real. porn. Social realism. Social yeah. realism yeah. Yeah. is the other porn. name yes. for it. Yeah. Give me holodecks yeah. and, you know, expansionists and all I that. I can't be doing. Would, would it help if he'd have been wearing a cape or, you know, 
know. Yes. Been Frankly. Of which, at 19. <laughs> hey, good segue, Boyd. So, moving on, at number 19 on the list is Amazon's The Boys, the dark and twisted take on the I mean, I wouldn't have had this in my top 20. No, this, is a, this is a James, this is a James bit of fascism here. Because, a bit of fascism? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I really should have, do you know what, if I'd have had more time to question your fucking list, I would have oh, yeah. insisted. If only I'd, I don't know, sent it to you and asked for your feedback. No, 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 I'm a busy man, I've got fucking 8,000 magazines to do. Anyway, <laughs> if I had, had, had more time. This is becoming our year of passive-aggressive yes. issues with each other yeah. coming to oh, the no, that's, that's, Yeah, that's just my own problem. Um, for example, I think, I mean, we'll talk about shows that missed out, but I mean, Euphoria is a much better show than this, much more powerful, brilliantly done. So, oh, I enjoyed The Boys, I really enjoyed it. But did you watch it all not, the way through? Yes, I did, yeah. Good. Um, and for me, the I, I guess the exceptional thing I would agree with about The Boys is... Everything now is incredible. The production values of mm-hmm. most of these, particularly on the streaming channels, but I think everyone else is keeping up as well, trying to. This was a spectacular visual feast. Mm. I'm not sure if I cared about anyone in it at all, even by the end. It so, didn't whereas, pass the Bellend test, I'll give you that. No, your Bellend. Whereas, you know, there are a lot of shows that were equally visually stunning, like Euphoria, um, like, like even like Sex, Sex Education, which weirdly looks fantastic, even though it's a teen it sex really, comedy. It really does. Which I would have put ahead of this. Stranger Things I've preferred. So I don't know why this is in the top 20, but well, well done, James. It was entertaining and visually incredible. No, it, it, see, it's, it's, it was visually incredible. No. No, no, no. And this is why you're wrong. No, no, it's not. All the, everything you said is true. Like, it's, it, it is... <laughs> anyway, it is visually s- sort of striking, but I don't think that's what makes this great. I think it it's surprising. It goes to incredibly dark places. It kind of there's a layer of realism to this, uh, not in the way that you know Nolanized superhero films are sort of realist in that they're sort of gritty and they feel realistic. It's just that there's a human realism to this. It shows people in all their sort of corrupt, sordid, unpleasantness, and it extends this to heroes, quote unquote, mm. with powers. Mm. And you know there are a bunch of awful, deplorable, depraved, venal bellends, each and every single one of them. And that is really, you know, it's hard to watch. Mm. And then the difficulty that sort of mundane people have trying to do the right thing when these sort of bastions, these paragons of virtue are anything but. And I think the way it unravels and the way it deals with the idea, uh, which is tackled (laughs) at the other end of the scale incredibly badly in Brightburn this year, uh, of what happens if Superman is an asshole. Mm. You know, what happens if Superman is a sociopath? Like, that's a really interesting concept. And I think they explore it so well in this, and it's explored so badly in that film. Um, absolutely compelling. And the events of the last episode, which I'm not going to spoil, don't worry, just, I could not wait. I was like, oh my God, I need the next series, and I need it now. And I'm still waiting for it. But yeah, I thought The Boys was a surprise, and I thought it was exceptional, and I believe it deserves its place <laughs> at number 19 on this, our canonical Thank list. God someone does. Thank you very much. Moving on, at number 18, we have Netflix's Russian Doll, which, uh, Terry, you could not say better things about when it first came out. It feels a little bit like the, 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 the shine has gone off it for you. Well, and I think it is just, and we always get this at the end of the year, right? Where mm, malaise. passage of time, it's interesting what's, what sticks with you and what doesn't. Yeah. And I think at the start of the year, because this was March, I think, or end of Feb, um, Russian Doll just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. And Natasha Leon is incredible. But, you know, this the concept is is 
kind of bonkers, obviously this Groundhog Day thing where she keeps dying over and over again. Mm. But kind of, it's the writing was incredible. It was so funny. She is utterly remarkable. The whole thing, how it works on a very surface level of, you know, it's a very New York thing to basically be in a room full of bellends who just watch you die over and over again without ever realising that that's what's really happening. Mm. The metaphor is not, is not too, um, you know, cloudy. Um, it felt so original and so innovative, but kind of, I think, to what Boyd was just touching on, this year has been astonishing in terms of constant innovation, constant surprises. Um, and I loved this and I still love it and I still think it's so smart and so funny and so fucking weird yeah. and trippy. Um but it, it, I think any other year, this would stand out as one of the most interesting things of the year. And I think it definitely deserves its place in the top 20. But I think it's one of many this year. Yeah. Do you, yeah, do you remember how difficult it was to get hold of this? I yes. do, yes. And it is another example of Netflix often not knowing what they've got, whether mm. it's that good or not. And kind of, you know, it was only, it was like a word of mouth. Yeah. When yeah. They didn't push it. We had to demand yeah. it. Yeah, we had to demand it and stamp our feet. And um, and then we, it was, it was incredible. Because I think I think sometimes with really, because it's such a high concept thing with with that, that twist on the Groundhog Day idea, I think you feel, oh, that's going to be a gimmick. and But it's the actual... It's the actual storytelling and the characters the and the script and the execution and the dialogue mm. that made it brilliant. Mm. It was, you know, you, you come for the gimmick and the, and the high concept and you stay for the just the general brilliance mm. of the show. And for me, halfway through is when it became incredibly yeah. brilliant. Yeah. When, yeah. The guy, when the dude arrived, that, that was the big game-changing moment in it. And I love game-changing moments in things. So, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. But it's interesting, right? I think we've got less tolerance for that this year which is um, things taking and we've talked about this before mm. things taking a while to yeah. really step up to the next level it used to be kind of par for the course of a, over an entire season of episodic television there were often gear changes halfway through two thirds of the way through um, and I think the interesting thing this year is especially when things drop all at once is is asking people to be patient mm. beyond you know because you're right it was great but then there was a whole yeah. step change mm. um, and I wonder how many people made it through to the the step change be kind, before kind yeah. of, of barreling out. And I think it's going to be interesting how um, uh, showrunners and programme makers look at that going forward. Mm. You know, I think The Morning Show, which we'll talk about later, is an interesting one because obviously that's been dropping episodically on Apple. And there are, and there are very noticeable gear shifts at different parts of the season which I think you can only execute when you're dropping things episodically. It is, it is funny, isn't it? I think that we, we live in a time when everyone is almost ADHD by default where you cannot, that your attention span is so limited because the sheer amount of media flowing past your mm. eyes, if something doesn't seize you, there are 10 brilliant things waiting in your playlist. Mm. You'll just move on to them. And, and you're absolutely right. I think the grammar of storytelling has changed fundamentally. The Netflix model of dropping everything at once is a completely different type of storytelling to the episodic, week mm. by week style of storytelling. And I, there's definitely room for both because I enjoy both types and I enjoy the, the narrative structure of both types equally. But but for different stories, I think they work better in different ways. Yeah, apparently, Netflix do actually do encourage um, this kind of thing, though. They, they they say that, you know, on average, people will sit down and watch two and a bit episodes. And then, and they're very happy for show creators to have big game-changing moments hours and hours into a, se a yeah. series. And I know and I'm, I know they may say that, and obviously you turn around and they'll act something the next day. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, But uh, mm. they definitely tell the creators of shows that they encourage them to go for ambitious mm. 
storytelling that doesn't necessarily kick in within the first episode. Mm. So that is interesting. I mean, they don't give you a lot of choice. Like, I must find, I find watching Netflix occasionally quite stressful in that they try to force feed you the next episode. The, like, so the one episode ends and you've got like four seconds to press stop before being hurled bodily into the next one. And it's just like, it's very, very, it gives me anxiety. I like that. I'm like, no, let me go to bed. That thing is the revolution. Which ev- and everyone does it now. <laughs> I know. You can turn it off. Of course you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. You can turn it off. <laughs> I, I haven't, but you can. Right. Anyway, that was number 18. At number 17, beaming in oh, Star Trek where did this come from? Discovery, which I might add, and I cannot emphasize this enough, Terry really enjoyed. I can't remember out about it. <laughs> what happened? Well, it was in space, Terry. The final frontier. It was a ship, right? These were the voyages of the starship Discovery. I remember something about Spock, like finding. You didn't watch all of this, did you? I didn't you watch failed. all of it. I, I, but I did watch three or four, maybe. I think four. Mm. I, th- I remember, and, and I'm really liking it. I think it was it was really good. I mean, I, it, didn't it, it? Didn't I think other people, other voices who, who like Star Trek, have said that there were some episodes that didn't work, and there were too many episodes generally. I think that's true. I think the series had a few filler episodes, right? Uh, and I think it was it was an odd one in, in that it starts out a little bit classic Trek in format where it's like you know planet slash (laughs) spatial anomaly of the week but what you begin to realize they're laying the seeds in those sort of like installment episodes for the larger story arc and then Mm. as the series progresses it becomes very sort of like about the ongoing story um so it's a a little slow to uh, get up to warp speed if you will but um Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we needed the if you no, will. If you will. At the end there. If you will. <laughs> anyway, but what was really good about this series? What was really good about this series is that, that they had this sort of problem. So Star Trek canon is set in dilithium it is you know it cannot it can you know it's you, you, where you can maneuver is really limited because there are established events you kind of cannot change and i think what this show did it operated in a timeline that was in between two canonical timelines where their ability to maneuver was quite limited and what is happening? Because they were bringing in canonical characters like like Captain Pike and they were bringing in Spock and they were bringing in the Enterprise. So what they could do with those characters was limited by what has already happened. Like J.J. Abrams sidestepped this by having time travel and alternate timelines. They couldn't really do that again. They have found a way out of without spoilers, out of that sort of canonical cul-de-sac, and I thought it was commendable. And the way this series ends, commendable I thought, way out of the canonical cul-de-sac. <laughs> I realise I sound like a talent. Now, I, I like a hats off to them is what I'm saying. Hats off. I thought they did an incredible job at doing that. Uh, that said, there weren't enough Klingons in this, and I much preferred the Klingon stuff in season one. Amazingly, though, at its best, it was really, really good. Very Even good. I would agree with that. And I know there's really, um, Russell T. Davis is a huge fan of the mm. show. I mean, when I went on set of years and years, he, he was like, "Have you seen new series of Subject Discovery? It's fucking brilliant." Yeah, Trekkies so, call it disco. <laughs> Like, yeah, ST Disco, yeah, STD, yeah, it's great. Anyway, so that's number seventeen, Star Trek Discovery. Excellent. Uh, at number sixteen, we have Lisa McGee's Derry Girls, otherwise known as the funniest thing on television. Yeah, I thought, I love your love for this, James. <laughs> what? Because there, it's it's evidence that inside my anomaly. black and withered, calcified heart, there is a, a glimmer of joy. Well, you know, you hate comedy, I do, and. Uh, uh, there's no spaceships and weird uniforms apart from school uniforms. And, um, Let's not get into and that. It, it's, I love your love for this. It's so pure and oh, joyful and real and and very well-deserved. I think Lisa McGee does an absolutely fucking incredible job. The intimacy 
and authenticity of the show, the balancing of like, you know, every kind of teenage girl's concerns about boys and fighting with each other and and then, you know, the troubles going on in the background, the, the balancing of the serious and the really fucking stupid mm. is what makes this. And it's just such a magical magical show i think i think you, you you're right there it is a balancing act that there are so many different comedy threads in here you've mm. got the really stupid characters being stupid so if that's your jam this will make you laugh but you've also got really abrasive rude snarky humor in there as well and that is absolutely my jam and that makes me laugh <laughs> so there is a bit of something for everyone and i think very few comedies manage to you know have that sort of multi-thread comedy in there where they can appeal to people with you know divergent senses of humor but also do, do proper emotional way mm. like you know and it's it's never kind of heavy-handed and often you don't see it coming and it's done with such a light touch but where she places it and when she places it means it always absolutely knocks you off your feet yeah and there are moments where there's a real sort of emotional punch to it because mm. it's a very serious subject matter mm. and i like that she pauses the comedy at certain points deliberately when she deals with this sort of more trouble-centric aspects. And so, for example, none of the soldiers ever tell jokes are ever in any way comedic or funny. They are deadly serious. And that's a conscious creative mm. choice and it works really, really well. Um, no, I think this is great. Season two, I thought, you know, it was oh, series two since it's a British show, I should probably say. Uh, I thought, you know, really, you know, stepped it up. It was it was mm. as good as season one. It was one. Felt slightly more ambitious than, um, she, you know, she had the, the, the last episode, which was built around the Clinton, mm. Bill yeah. Clinton thing, was had a cost of thousands of extras and like, I mean, maybe, you know, how, how they did it, but it felt like a really huge big thing. But, mm. you know, it went from intimate to epic brilliantly and that, and, and had that really sweet, lovely ending where he, the lad... Yes, no spoilers. Was, right, oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> anyway, there was a lovely ending with the lad. <laughs> it ended really and well. It ended really well. <laughs> it was also because, anyway, all right. But, um, yes, it stepped up, even yes. though, series, it's, it's one of those examples of a, of a brilliant successful show this is the most popular show ever shown in Ireland and um, yet she stepped up and it was even more incredible and impressive in series 2 Yes, Dairy Girls was very, very good. I, I enjoyed it a lot. It makes me laugh and it gives me joy. And as you know, very few things do that. Yeah. So, hooray. At number 15, soaring in Apple TV Plus's Servants, which is, um, Terry has almost oh. not stopped banging on about. Oh, fucking love this. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, so, I'm like, I am not the world's most natural M. Night Shyamalan uh, stan. And I. That's because he's made a lot of shit I'm, films. Well, he has. <laughs> he really that, has. Even it's good stuff. I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> take it or leave it. In the year that he did Glass. Mm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. This was incredible, and it wasn't one of the talking points of Apple TV Plus, right? Because the morning show, which was their big core show, they paid a lot of money for it. They had incredible talent. We'll get onto that as well because that is fucking amazing. But this was kind of sat there, and we were, and you were banging on about it a bit, James, and I was like, oh god, I'm have to fucking watch it. <laughs> it's so brilliantly done. I mean, there are some. I'm obsessed with the way they shoot food in this. Obviously, Toby mm. Kebbell is in this with Lauren Ambrose. It's a bit Hannibal. Wife. Really bit Hannibal. Hannibal. The way mm. they shoot the food in it is extraordinary. The way they use, he's a chef, the way they use food. Um, 
but I mean, I I am as we've talked about on this podcast before. I am pregnant, and so watching watching this has been quite the experience for me. Um, and I think I recounted that when I I binge watched the last half of it, and um, my it's a boy balloon from um, <laughs> my baby shower floated ominously down the stairs. But this is absolutely incredible, and I think the reviews actually, especially out of the states, were quite mixed. The ones that yeah, I saw. Yeah. But I just thought this did tension and dread and just creeping weirdness so well. And I'm so excited for the next season. Mm. Like, this is absolutely one of my shows of the year. I just absolutely mm. love it. I think I banged on about it first, if I can. Uh, you were, yes, you were also banging um, on about the seven. I absolutely adore, yeah, loved, I fucking absolutely loved it, yeah. And um, talking of individual episodes, I think the ninth episode, so. M. Knight directed episode one and nine, and nine yes. was the one where they go take you back to the birth of Jericho. Oh, my God. Which, I don't know how you watch that as a pregnant person. I mean, Jesus Christ. I haven't got to that one yet. I'm oh still... Are you serious? I still haven't James, finished Seven. I'm saying... I've watched that, I think, three times now, that episode, because I worked out how to... Because I watched it on my computer, because it, it's visually incredible. There's yeah. things going on at the corners of the frame. I think you have to try and watch it on a big screen. I finally worked out how I could watch it on my big screen at home. And... Um, it's, I think it's the best thing I'm not sure has ever done. It's absolutely yeah. sustained, almost unbearable tension. Is he going to show us what happened to this fucking baby or not? And it's extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, the, the pacing of it, yeah. the, I mean, everything yeah. about, you're right, this this as this standout episode of the entire thing. And Boyd had said that beforehand, on, and when I was binge-watching them all, I was desperately waiting to get to that episode, and it absolutely does not disappoint. As a single piece of yeah. television this year, it really does stand out. Yeah, I, I look forward to that. I've been meaning to finish seven, but so much TV and so much Expanse and so much Witcher. Oh. Well, I was going to say, you watched all of Witcher, you watched all of Dave Ryan or whatever his name is Jack. and you couldn't Dave make Ryan. <laughs> Jack's, Jack's brother Dave and yeah. you couldn't make it all the way through Servant and then they're only half an hour his priorities are so weird do you know what he told me yesterday oh, he told me yesterday he's going to think you're embarking on a Game of Thrones rewatch yeah I know. well I mean which is something you should be doing so Terry if you don't do it I'm going to do it for and you can live it vicariously through me oh good yeah Crazy. That was number 15 and that is Servant on Apple TV Plus and number 14 Netflix's Unbelievable which is, I think, the only show on this list I've not seen. What? Because I was off the week you reviewed it, and oh. it's a depressing drama about rape, so clearly oh, not yeah, something I was going to watch. You were so, Misery porn in yeah. your... What? Yeah. No, but, no, but I felt... No, to be fair, this, I don't know this uh, quite... To be fair. <laughs> to be fair, I think, as I, as I James Blaine has shown to you, that I haven't seen and you have. Please don't make me out to be a misogynist, because I am no, actually no. a feminist. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying with this is, I don't think this is technically what I would class as misery porn no. in my demented head, but this is... I, I think he's what he specifically talks about often is poor people, on telly. Right, yes, yes. I mean, there are poor people in this. Because everyone in it is middle class, it's not yeah. misery yeah. porn. Right, fine. But what I just thought, this is a show that will fundamentally just upset me from beginning to end. And I just thought, again, in the world we live in at the moment, I don't need it. So why... Well, actually, the interesting thing about it was is that... Um, for me, the brilliant thing about it was that it, at the beginning, the fir that first episode where you're taken through the aftermath mm. of this young woman's rape and the unbelievable inhumanity of the way she's dealt with by the police and the mm. authorities and for everyone around her um, who kind of thinks that she's her story is inconsistent and all of that and it, it, she's put through a Kafkaesque nightmare but then when the, the detective comes in who's played by Merritt Weather um, <laughs> She is so full of humanity. She's such a kind... It's like the relief 
that was what I remember most yeah. about it. That moment where she arrived, she's like, oh, she's just dealing with people as a human being and with some empathy. And it's like, she's so brilliant and such a brilliant performance that I was like, oh, actually, it's not as unbearable to watch as you think it might be because she, it, it, in the end, it, there's a lot about how to deal with people with humanity and with empathy and as opposed to those fuckwits who aren't. Mm. And I think we um, we talked about in that first episode how similar it was in um, tension and kind of how unbearable it was to some of the scenes in When They See Us, the interrogation scenes, because she's in this, essentially in an interview room, being mm. treated like a criminal, being grilled by this thing. And I think what people have really responded to, especially women, is the sense of properly depicting what it is like to report a rape often and how unsympathetically you are treated but also how difficult it can be to recount that experience and why some victims do seem unreliable or seem like um, they're not the perfect kind of witness or victim and it dealt with all that stuff in such a realistic way and you know in this country at the moment the um, convictions for rape and sexual assault are at their lowest in more Mm. than a decade I think something like you know for every 1,000 offences Five people are convicted. And it's, the number of people actually prosecuted are painfully Yeah, low as and well. it's getting worse. The, the mm. numbers are getting worse and worse and worse. And I think women especially are really conscious of this and really conscious of what it means, um, what truth means and, and how you manage to vocalise your truth and who believes you and who doesn't believe you. In a year of, you know, She Said, which is the um, book by the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist from the New York Times, Catch, um, Catch and Kill, the Ronan Farrow book, we're kind of getting into these conversations about um, how people talk about rape and sexual assault, the big, realistic, still practical challenges that exist around both reporting and conviction. And I think, to Boyd's point, it was handled with such empathy, but also reality at the same time, because it actually, it is about this real case that happened um, some years ago, but it's also really about the kind of structural dif- difficulties that still exist around this stuff. Who gets their voice heard? If you don't, why don't you? Um, but did it in such a compelling kind of non-preachy way? Um, and I think that is what makes it one of the most seismic things on television this year. Yeah, and, and we should also mention Ke- 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 mm. I mean Kathleen Dever, who is absolutely. But what a year for incredible. her as well! Yeah. Like coming off the back of Booksmart, and before this year, I only knew her as Young Loretta from Justified, the latter <laughs> seasons, and yet here we are, household name. So good year for her. Uh, that was unbelievable. Number fourteen and number thirteen, season two of Killing Eve, which I have to say, you know, with the benefit of hindsight and having seen the whole thing, I found disappointing. I was not wild about season two of Killing Eve. Yeah, but when it hit its heights, it, it was definitely less consistently great than season one. But it did hit brilliant, brilliant heights, mm. like the episode yeah. in Amsterdam. I thought the fir- I really liked the first episode. The second episode I loved, where she was in the house. Yes, with that the, was my with favorite. The crazy guy. Mm. Um, so it just had, it still had moments that were as good as anything, really. So I think, it, so that's why I think it does deserve to be in the top twenty. Yeah, and I think, was it episode five, I want to say? And the finale for me was amazing. I think there were, yeah. I think consistently as a season, it, it kind of um, didn't quite stack up to season one, but I think it had a couple of standout episodes that were just exceptional. I think there were some missteps in terms of the relationship between Eve and Villanelle. 
you know, for me, it works best when they're kept apart. And this really worked on bringing them together much mm. more. And that, for me, undercut some of the tension and took some of the kind of um, fun out of it, really. But, I mean, Jodie Comer, if we're talking about people who've had a good year... I mean, she's just remarkable in this. Um, and, I mean, they both are. This is just an absolute tour de force for both of them. And I like the fact that it wasn't treading the same ground as the first. And I think the really smart thing they've done with Killing Eve is having a new um, writer and showrunner each time. Obviously, you've got many of the same people on the creative team, but having a different voice lead it each season, I think should lead to having kind of a slightly different take on Killing Eve each time. And Mm. I think a lot of people love the first season so much that doing a retread of of that for the season two may have been more popular in many respects, but I think it's actually a bolder creative choice to do it the way they do it. And I think where they're going to take it in season three is again probably going to be different but really exciting but I think it was flawed in places but I think it just had such standout moments as well and as you say the Amsterdam episode is Mm. a perfect Mm. example of that at number 12 perhaps controversially Dublin Murders now this is a strange one because I in my head was like well it's one of the best shows of the year absolutely brilliant we all loved it it was great I couldn't stop watching it I binged the whole thing loved every minute of it even the finale which I understand A is controversial but B the the finale of Turner French's book is controversial and it it was Mm. the same conversation that happened around that and it's an amazing book but this has a really has really mixed critical reception. If you look at its sort of Metacritic rating, it's middling at around fifty four, and a lot of people hated this. And quite a few people tweeted me to, oh, "I took Pilot's recommendations after that. I couldn't trust any recommendations from you at all because it was terrible." I, I'm, I'm, it baffles me. It baffles me how anyone thinks that's a bad show because I thought it was magnificent. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely loved it as well. I think some people have issues with generally people have big issues so it's it's a genre piece on one it's a crime drama it's a mystery and yes. there's and there's there's a number two, of mysteries two, so there's two, two mysteries wrapped up in a third mystery right well I mean it's actually two novels yes melded together which uh, some people have taken indeed. issue with but I so, think so, some people have taken issue with that so there's that that's first of all there's the fact that it's high Phelps Sarah Phelps mm. stuff in, in terms of she will go there with big ambitious imagery mm. Um, with very densely woven storytelling that some people find it, you have to concentrate, you have to focus on it. And I, th- I love that. But some people, you know, I'm not judging them, but some people find complicated stuff annoying. They think it's deliberately complicated in a way. I think they kind of resent, you know, being kind of given stuff that isn't, that is playing with time as much. But I love all that mm. about it. That's what makes it incredibly addictive and fascinating storytelling. And for me, it, she always manages to keep it on this line of, 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 Comprehensible, so that we we are gripped and we do want to know what happens. And it does. And as the as the novel had multiple mysteries, various mysteries, particularly one of which isn't necessarily solved, it, people get furious about that with genre stuff because the whole point of crime drama mystery is to solve stuff. Generally, you know, that's the idea is that you buy into the fact that you've got a mystery and it's going to be. Solved. Well, if you leave one element that isn't solved completely, people get furious. But I think. 
that's the brilliant thing about mm. it is that you're, you're being it's challenging the conventions it's challenging the storytelling that normally occurs in it. the formula it's not formulaic it's the opposite of that and it's I thought it was fantastic mm, I, I, I really did I could not get enough of this show I was actually gutted when it finished um, and, and I thought the leads were I thought the chemistry between the leads and not yeah, just the chemistry great. but the, the relationship the incredibly complicated mm. relationship between those two characters which forms the spine of that first novel I think translated really well and, and made the mystery that much more gripping that there were so many layers to who knew what about whom and the relationships between them and who trusted whom it was it was oh, so good um and i and i and i thought the you know the visuals of it and the atmospherics of it specifically specifically their use of the woods yeah. and that as a place of foreboding i thought a not only was that incredibly well shot but it affected how people understood the resolution of the mystery so i was talking to a friend of mine the other week and his understanding of what happened was radically different to mine to the point where i don't think he really understood the show but <laughs> <laughs> but of i'm just saying the conclusion you <laughs> but i'm just saying it's quite complex and ambiguous <laughs> Amazing. I hope he listens to this podcast. Yeah. I th- I'm, no offence, but I think your friendship may be on shaky ground because James thinks you're stupid. <laughs> okay, so Sarah Phelps' Dublin Murders at number 12. At number 11, the glorious, the magnificent, it didn't float down the lagon on a bubble, line of duty. What do we think of this series of line of duty stacked up against the rest? You see, I think... And I think it's quite controversial not to have this in the top 10, but I actually think it's correct because I think it did so much stuff well. Huge shocks. I think for for something like Line of Duty to still be able to pull off genuine, massive, thrilling shocks, there were a couple of moments, one of which I almost spat out earlier, where I actually <laughs> gasped because yeah. it still did really bold, risky things. Having Anna Maxwell Martin in that episode, I mean, she just, that episode alone (laughs) is worth the entire season. Stephen Graham was incredible. I think I felt like Vicky McClure was kind of a bit wasted in this season. She is one of our greatest living actors. I'm sorry, she is. Mm. She is absolutely fucking remarkable in everything she did. And I, I felt like she was a little bit underserved in this. And there was some kind of, you know with H and some quite obvious slash contrived which I don't mind with Line of Duty in a way because yeah. you ca- that's what yeah. you kind of yeah. expect yeah. some people thought that you know I the the finale which was, was feature length wasn't it and was basically as far as I can remember two thirds to three quarters interrogation yeah, yeah which was great I mean I loved that yeah. I cannot get enough interrogation <laughs> no, in not can I. some people are like oh it's all just people in a room it's for an amazing hour. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah and how brilliant is that <laughs> so I just think he's the absolute master of it and just the pleasure of watching he is single-handed well not single-handed almost single-handedly <laughs> saving serial weekly television that does not drop all in one go and has to, and is a communal experience mm. and people talking about it week by week by week and being so engaged with it is absolutely incredible and the fact that it get high, gets higher ratings than anything including Dancing on Ice and I'm a Celebrity all those shows that you have don't, no idea what yeah. they are is so brilliant it's it like is. people loving this scripted brilliantly made thing more than anything else on TV. I agree. I think he is a genius and this show is magnificent uh, and I, I loved every minute of it. Line of Duty is glorious and what's more glorious, Boyd, what's more glorious than all of that is he's actually in reproduction on yes. Series 6 at the moment. Absolutely. And that fills my heart with joy because I thought we were going to have to wait until Season 2 of Bodyguard was out of the way. Kelly McDonald. 
McDonald. Kelly McDonald's in it, yeah. I mean, just the casting is always I incredible. Know. It's like, yeah, of course Kelly McDonald's in it because their casting is always brilliant and they just yeah. find the best people. She's had a good year as well. Incredible, yeah, right? what, yeah. Was that, yeah. um, what was her BBC show? Gibby Haji. She was in Gibby Haji. Oh, and in, Missing Child. Yes, that was great as well, yeah. What was it called? And, and The Victim. Like and The Victim, the victim. Oh. which was, which, to be fair, and that's something that we'll probably come on to a little bit later. The Victim is not on our list, but The Victim was fucking brilliant. If you mm. haven't seen that, check out The Victim with Kelly McDonald. That was really, really good as well. Right, at number 10, we're in on the home stretch now. At number 10, The Morning Show. Apple this TV Plus' is flagship too show. Too low, too low, too <laughs> low, too low. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this this is absolutely one of my shows of the year, and it baffles me the reception this got from some quarters. I think it was only early episodes. They must yeah. have only watched well, the early episodes. And, and, well, here's what's interesting, right? So whenever I post about this on Instagram, and when I binge-watched them all one weekend, the weekend after binge-watching The Servant... I got people messaging me going, mm, I'm not so sure. Like, people yeah. are really split on this. And I was thinking, does it get off to a slow... Not particularly. I really like the first episode. It builds in a what I would call a proper way. Mm. The characters, the plot lines, little details that are dropped in the first episode, the way this is woven narratively is so clever. And when we're talking about gear changes and switches, there are a couple of moments in this. There is an episode where they flash back to when Mitch, um, who's obviously played by Steve Carell, um, was working at the network and you see the kind of toxic environment that existed that you kind of didn't really have a clue about before. You you figured from um, things that are happening now, but it was really smart to show you that. And, it, and that not only kind of revealed something about him and about the network, but it also revealed something about Jennifer Aniston's character and kind of her complicity in it, but why she'd been dragged into this toxic environment. Both women, Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, are remarkable in this, but this is the greatest thing of Jennifer Aniston's career. She is a bitch. She is like thorny. She is flawed. Um, she is clever. She is difficult. She is so brilliant in this. And the last two episodes, I've said this before on this podcast, but the last two episodes of this show and where it takes the Me Too conversation and the nuance it shows within that conversation and where we are is, I just think, the best tackling of this topic in any film, on any TV show so far. And when this ended, I was the saddest I've been all year about any TV show ending. <laughs> I was genuinely, absolutely fucking gutted. And this is like absolutely my show of the year, like without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, here. Am I saying in the real world that it's still playing out? The yeah. finales um, right. this week or next yeah, right, week? Right, yeah, right, yeah. As we record. When yeah. you listen to right, this, it will, have, it will be out. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, just, just making that clear because we get to see it. Yeah. yeah, we saw it weeks on, ago on the on the uh, on the Apple portal. Yeah, um, I agree. It's just um, I do think it took off. I think some shows do take time to like. I think the first couple of episodes, I I felt were I don't know elements of them weren't necessarily entirely um, convincing. I think some things were overplayed slightly. I remember how I remember thinking there were a lot of shouty scenes in that opening couple of episodes where people were kind of shouting at each other a mm. lot. And I know like there are high stakes and you know a lot mm. big things are happening, but it, felt, it all felt slightly forced. Whereas I think it almost relaxed into stuff from like three, four, and as it went on, it just got more and more confident, I think, of what it was. And it just began to be, and it absolutely flew. When you got to know the characters, and she, I, I totally agree, she, it's the best thing she's ever done, she, and mm. I love her anyway, Jennifer Aniston, but she's absolutely 
just dealt, deals with everything in the full gamut of emotions and she's funny and, and incredible but I do think the show absolutely did get better and better as it went on but I, f- I felt like that was just the structure of the storytelling yeah, which is that's true. they dropped you the minute it opened is the minute of crisis yeah. right and so those first two episodes you are experiencing that crisis as it unfolds for sure. them and I love the fact that in the first episode you've got Jennifer Aniston like makeup down her face she just like yeah. crawled through a field in rain <laughs> screaming at Steve Carell and losing her shit and he's smashing up a telly with a golf club like it, you dropped into yeah. this world of rage and recriminations mm. and upset and sadness and then I felt like what it does is it tracks back to kind of build for you how they got there and the consequences of it um, and I think it, and, and I agree with you in terms of by the end you just I mean it just built like I think proper telly should which yeah. is you began somewhere and it didn't just take you on this is kind of simple linear journey it built out this world and this entire narrative for you um, in such a smart way the way they built out the characters and the story each episode was just so brilliantly intelligently done um, I oh mm. I want to watch it all over again, but, but like I haven't watched it the first time so I can experience watching it again. That is The Morning Show at number 10. At number 9, Dominic Savage's I Am, a show that, as we said, I don't think almost anyone has seen. No, well, apart from us. Apart from us. <laughs> it's like, we, like it, it's a show that, that passed a lot of people by. There were only three episodes, which I think probably had a lot to do with it, and it didn't get a lot of fanfare. But in terms of actual televisual achievements this year, I thought it, this was extraordinary television and ambitious storytelling and landmark television in what it did. What I will say is that I think the Vicky McClure episode did get more cut through I Am Nicola because mm. I was following the hashtag on Twitter and I think it didn't get a lot of play amongst critics. I don't think it got a lot of kind of high profile coverage. But I was following the hashtag and it kind of that episode especially blew mm. up on social, which I think we've talked about with is about coercive control. Yep. Um wasn't the most sensationalist or kind of even it's, a, it's, a, it's low key, isn't yeah. it? It's it's about a toxic relationship. You know, there's nothing hugely sensational that happens in it, but it just has I mean, in part, I'm sure people know this by this by this point because we talked about it quite a lot these were almost entirely improvised episodes they had broad structures for what they wanted to achieve but Savage let the camera roll it was naturally uh, lit and the actors were encouraged to inhabit these characters and kind of express themselves uh, in character you had uh, I Am Kirsty with Samantha Morton which was one of the most upsetting mm. episodes of television I've seen this year but also just an incredible performance mm. and then I Am Hannah with Gemma Chan which was my favourite of them uh, obviously dealing around sort of uh, loneliness expectations and the hell that is internet dating. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't know why that one resonated with me. <laughs> but uh, but really, really great. Three great episodes. And it's very exciting that, that Savage is working on more of these. Like he will be doing more of them. But, um, but yes, definitely do see that if, like, let's be honest, everyone, you missed it the first time. Well, I think around. it was probably the low keyness. I think they were, yeah. they weren't, because they weren't showy, you no. know, they were, I think the no. whole raison d'etre, if I can use that phrase, and mm. I have, Woo! was realism was keeping them as believable and as authentic as possible and avoiding melodrama and big you know and and that's and that stuff is what draws people in so it was incredibly it was brilliant that Channel 4 commissioned it that the production company made it like that and that he Mm. made sure it was scene for scene it was all so real and I think in in the end people I'm sure you know I think you know I'm sure ratings were up for the slot on Channel 4 and it wasn't Mm. that it wasn't nobody watched it and as you say I saw reactions to all the episodes as well so yeah it had a small select audience but I think it's it's never going to be a thing that's going to draw as many people to watch it as a normal melodramatic big 
drama. Well, if you do want to know more about that, if you scroll back through previous episodes of the podcast, there is an interview with Dominic Savage and Gemma Chan about that very show. I would tell you the episode number, but I don't know it off the top of my head. At number eight, we have Russell T. Davis's Years and Years, which wins an award for one of the most simultaneously depressing and batshit shows of the year, <laughs> but also utter genius. Boyd? Yes, and let me point out that it is the highest UK drama on the list, which I think is quite right, because I would absolutely pick it as my favourite homegrown drama of the year. Russell T. Davis striking again last year he he triumphed with um, a very English scandal which obviously was was telling a true life story mm. this was his and I think that gave him because that was such a popular success um, and it won loads of awards and I think that gave him the freedom to do this thing that he's wanted to do for years and years and years he's had this idea of going back you know ages of, of kind of covering the insanity of the modern world via an intimate family drama um, and just the whole the form of it was radical and brilliant um, the casting was incredible, and just the episode four, spoiler <laughs> alert, yeah, spoiler people, alert. I am going to say it, which climaxes in the death of one of the characters, and not the character he was originally going to kill off, and then he, he was the character he was originally going to kill off, he thought, well, that's going to be powerful, but actually, then he went, no, it's going to be much more powerful if I kill this <laughs> character off, and it was fucking devastating. Yes. It was almost like someone mm. dying in your real life. It mm. was so devastating. The power of his writing and the acting and the direction everything, it's just that, that is what TV can do. It can make you feel like you've lost someone in your actual life. Incredible stuff. So yeah, I just absolutely loved it. And the ending, which was way out there, <laughs> yeah. incredible. His ambition is extraordinary. Mm. It's always been there in everything he does. Like, it, you know, he goes from realism to out there kind of symbolism and kind of almost sci-fi. Sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi. Mm. But it's Absolutely a show brilliant. that he's been wanting to do for years, but I can't help feeling if it hadn't oh, dropped this year. Right, this was the time. To, this was there. You would never. I yeah. mean, I don't know what's going to happen next year. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully, I'm correct and not wrong. But oh, I mean, he's it feels like been, this was the time. The, the, as uh, some of our um, listeners will love this element. I'm about to say to say, but he's, everything he said is coming true. Like the election of Boris Johnson is literally from this show because yeah. he has people who become famous by being on Havaga News and becoming prime minister. I mean, yeah. But and is that um. That kind of shift easily between proper realism and quite brutal television. And then, I mean, that final episode, there were earlier things in the first episode where um, where she has an emoji over yeah. her face. Yeah. And I, I was like, can't do this on like a drama. What is happening? And then the final episode where it goes full fucking nuts. And to achieve those gear shifts and keep the audience with you, I think is astonishing. But you're right, it's the writing, right? Mm. Because that moment you're talking about, A, one of the shocks of the year on I couldn't believe he'd actually had the balls to do it. But so beautifully handled. And then the consequences of that, yeah. and then how that ran out across the rest of the season. So innovative and exciting and interesting and brave in so many places, as well as being des depressingly, devastatingly prescient. So thanks, Russell T. Davis. If you can tell us what's going to happen <laughs> yeah. in the next five years, that'd be great. Yeah. I'd like, quite like a warning. I don't think I want to know. Um, right, at number seven... When They See Us, Ava DuVernay's harrowing dramatisation of what happened to the Central Park Five. Terry? I mean, this it, just a r remarkable piece of television. I think Ava DuVernay is such a great visionary filmmaker, but this, for me, I have to say, out of everything she's done, you know, 
is she's worked on the Oscar-winning films. This is not a a kind of a woman without incredible work in her background. But this, for me, is is by far the best thing she's ever done. Tackling this incredibly famous case with these a young group mm. of actors who put in this remarkable performance. The way it was shot, and we talked about this a lot of the time, was just absolutely beautiful. But then the way the narrative was crafted, and we talked at the time about this tension that existed and how unbearable it was for us all to watch, actually, and to make it through a single episode. And she managed to do something which I think had real-world impact. These men are still alive. They're still dealing with the consequences. We have a president in power in the U.S., who took out a full-page ad in the Times wanting these boys to get the death penalty. Like, this is, you know, this is real-world stuff with real-world consequences. But she also just made a a piece of poetry, I think, which is what this show was. But that reached this kind of mass audience. And this is what actually excites me about Netflix, for example. And Netflix comes under a lot of flack for certain things. But I think one of the most exciting things about Netflix is it gives a massive platform to shows, to filmmakers, to actors who might necessarily have struggled with the traditional networks or not been able to get the reach and the kind of recognition that they deserved. This has been up for loads of awards so far this year and I think it's absolutely deserved in every kind of way possible. I agree. That was When They See Us at number seven. At number six... A show that may not pass the Bell End test, but passed everyone else's test. It's Succession. Now, before we get into this one, I think it's time for our interview, uh, specifically with Logan Roy himself, Brian Cox, who Boyd and I went to see at a very special Succession event in Notting Hill. Now, I kept absolutely quiet and stuck to producing this interview as I wasn't too sure how he'd react to me James-plaining the Bell End test to him and how his show doesn't pass it. So this is Boyd and Brian Cox. Brian Cox, welcome to the Pilot TV podcast. We are recording this on a momentous day, the day after you've been nominated Best Actor for the in the Golden Globes yeah. Succession. Do, do awards do 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 awards matter? Do you think in this? In, well, in this I thing? pretend they don't. Right, <laughs> but probably secretly they do. I, I'm 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 very riven by awards. I find it. Uh, I I, I kind of talk to myself about I kind of admonish myself for any ambition that I have for an reward and I say don't do that Brian just realize it's the work that's the most important it's not you know what would you rather have a job or an award and and I always have to come down ostensibly kind of for the job but secretly I'm also <laughs> thinking about the award so it's it's a very it's it does it does your head in when you get nominated for an award because all your principles kind of go out the window sure yeah but you're only human yeah I mean it's great I know I know I know this is the thing that we, well the, of course this is the disappointing thing is that I'm only human right. and I just wish I wasn't sometimes fair enough yeah you know I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not particularly proud of my humanness sure sure I, I, I you know I'm, I, I'm just part of a you know, a uh, 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 not totally evolved species. <laughs> Are you surprised, though, by the way that Succession has gone from, I think, you know, a, a very highly acclaimed show in its first season um, from critics and, you know, a kind of appreciative audience on HBO and Sky Atlantic here in the UK to, I think, in the second season, I feel there was a real step up in terms yeah, of... Yeah. Did, did that feel that way to you? That it, that's by, Well, I it, think it, it, it was a natural progression. I think, uh, you know, th- that once we'd started, once we'd created the the impetus of the beginning it it kind of followed suit and uh i think that 
that Jesse was able to, and Jesse and his team, you know, because he's got a pretty formidable team, Lucy Preble, Georgia Pritchard, Tony Roach, you know, among John Brown, I mean, amongst many. So in a way, that team has just seen the value of the first season and being able to move it on. And hopefully they'll do the same with the third season, which they're in the process of writing now. So I think that's the very exciting thing about television. And also the thing that I've learned about television is not to prepare. I don't, you know, I'm an actor who likes to prepare, but I've learned to let go. And I get a free song on the fact that I don't know what I'm going to be doing next. And that's also reflective of the power of the show. That's interesting because, yeah, the show feels incredibly vibrant yeah. and fresh and almost like a kind of you're watching some kind of documentary playing it out before that's your right. eyes. That's right. Is that the, the, what is the secret to that sense of well, authenticity? I think, I, think it's, I, I think it's a – I think it's Jesse – uh, there's a sort of, I don't know what you would call it, uh, kind of zeitgeist of some kind between, you know, people like Amanda and Nucci, you know, and, and Jesse. And they, of course, worked together on the thick of it. Tony Roach was also one of the writers on that. And those, well, that style has developed the thick of it. And it started with the peep show. It, it, so Jesse has always had this impetus to write in this way and he's now it's now coming to a different fruition and you know an even greater fruition so you can see the kind of journey of amando you know veep they did veep together so and and it's 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 very exciting and I feel like the, your character, that Logan, has also become in, in the second season. I mean, he was an extraordinary figure right from the start. But in the first season, he was ill, and you know, the, yeah. he was kind of the, the, the weakness was. In the second season, he's he's this kind of absolute bulldog, ferocious, fierce, terrifying figure. It, I mean, a it must be an incredible amount of fun playing that role. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great fun, and yeah, it's tremendous fun. But it's also, you know, from my point of view, uh, uh, being of a certain age now, it's it's. It's a role which I can, I can, I can feed a lot of stuff I believe as an actor into. Uh, I can do the stuff that I want to do that I'm not always able to do, um, and the part lends itself to that because he's not, he's not black and white. You know, he's this an incredibly, I mean, he's a sort of mystery wrapped up in an enigma or an enigma wrapped up in a mystery. We don't know what Logan is. And, 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 and it's also very important that I haven't, I moved away from the idea of the, you know, everybody goes on about the, the Murdoch comparisons mm. because of the family and all that. But he's not Murdoch because he's a self-made man. Murdoch, you know, did make himself, but he was already had a, a push start. Whereas Logan, he comes from a dark place, and that's where he retreats to, that dark place. Mm -hmm. he's, he's essentially misanthropic. He's essentially disappointed with the human experiment, you know, and he, but his Achilles heel is he loves his children, and that in a way is his Achilles heel. If he didn't love his children, it would be a lot simpler. Not that he shows he loves his children very much, but he does actually love... I mean, I actually asked Jess, Jesse this, and this is one of the first questions I asked Jesse. I, you know, because I doubted it. I said, does Logan love his children? And he said, oh, he loves his children. And I realized he loves his children very much. So he's, he's hoping, but he knows, and he understands that they, he, they, they didn't have the disadvantages that he had, which, of course, become advantages. They have got so many advantages, it kind of negates them. 
And that's what's their tragedy, in a way, is that they are entitled. And it's also very much in the climate of the day. We see it with Trump. We see it with... We see it with the, with the Murdochs. We see what that has done. And it's occasionally, I mean, again, I, I get examples of this all the time, this sense of entitlement, which, is, which skews you in a way from what the reality of life is. It's interesting you're saying about the relationship with the children because that, sometimes those, those moments turn on a dime. Don't, I'm thinking of the incredible moment where you hit um, Kieran Culkin. Oh, yeah. Um, and then... That was an action. <laughs> <laughs> is it hard to do that believably? Because that was a, such a powerful kind of unexpected moment. Yeah. And B, that he's immediately, the remorse afterwards was yeah. was incredibly powerful as well. So those moments, kind of those moments are what makes the show so special. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and that happened. I mean, that was a, an involuntary act on was his it? part. Oh, yeah. wow. I mean, it is. I mean, he just does that. Yeah. And, and, but he, aim, he aims, you know, he goes bang. And he then regrets it because, you know, he's he knows... You know, it's like Bore on the Floor, where we see the real demon in him. Yeah. You know, that he is this demonic figure. And his contempt for humanity is so <laughs> omnipresent at that point. And, you know, and it's kind of sad at the same time that he's he's incapable of, of you know, and that's why his complicated relationship with the, the women, in the, I mean, both his, his wife... And also uh, his his daughter, mm. you know. And in the, in the second season, we had the, the arrival of Holly Hunter's character. Yeah, so and then that fascinating. was that was that, and then all the speculation about and did they didn't they? Yeah, you know, which yeah. is, you know, well, uh, let me tell you, they didn't. <laughs> Good to know, <laughs> definitively, that they didn't. Well, that's the children's imagination. They 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 have this they have this image of their father as this kind of swordsman of some kind, but yes. Yes, there's he also, may have been, but not anymore. There's also the phenomenal episode where you go to Dundee, which is yeah. your actual. Well, that place. you see, that's that's the bizarrest thing that, and this is where Jesse has kind of used me in a way, not in a bad way. I'm not against it, but when I was first approached, when we had the first conversation that we had, and I'd read it, and I I suggested that he could be Scots. Now, Jesse wouldn't hear any of that. He wasn't interested. Adam McKay, on the other hand, thought that was a great idea. But Jesse said, no, 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 he's got to be American. He's got to be American. He's got to be American. I said, okay, he's American. I mean, I've, I've actually played more Americans than I've played Brits. <laughs> right. So I said, fine, all right, he's American. That's, I earn my living doing American. That's what I'll do. So we started it. And then when we got the first script, the, the, the uh, pilot script, it turned out he was born in Quebec, Canada. So he's... <laughs> He's Canadian American, and uh, so I we did that, and then in the ninth episode of the first series, Peter Friedman, who was, plays the Frank, who I'm always firing in the show and rehiring, and that's the thing about Logan. That's an interesting thing about Logan is he fires people, but he keeps the family together. He kicks them out. He gives kicks them, but but he brings them back. There is something. There's, there's a there's a quality there which is you know, really interesting in, in Logan. So anyway, Peter said, oh, by the way, he said, they've changed your birthplace. I said, what? He said, they've changed your birthplace. I said, 
what, what, what do you mean they've changed my birthplace? I said, why? Why? He said, well, I don't know. I, just, I was doing an ADR session and they've changed it. And I said, well, where am I born now? He said, oh, I don't know. I can't remember. He said, it's somewhere. I don't know. Somewhere. And then he looked at on his phone. He said, oh, it's Dundee, Scotland. And I said, but that's where I come from. So I go up to Jesse and I said, well, what is this? You know, we avoided. You said you didn't want to be. So he said, "He said I just thought it'd be a little surprise." So he kind of used it. I mean, it kind of clearly he kept it in his head. And of course, the idea is that, and we worked out that the idea was he was indeed born in Scotland, but then he was taken away because of the war. You know, he was there were, there were kids who went across to Canada. It was a reality. So that's what you know. That's what that came from. Mm. So it was. But then going back to my hometown, and it. And of course, now, I've, as a result of that, there's a thing in the Dundee Courier called Impact 100, which is the top 100 people in that, in that area or for the year. And I'm now number one. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. I'm, I'm number one because I brought succession to <laughs> <Yes>. Dundee. <laughs> You've got to be number one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you think, in a way, one of the things that makes it so great is the fact that and famously, some people complain about this kind of thing, that all the characters are fairly reprehensible. Well, the, the point is, it, it, it's a morality tale. Yeah. And yeah, the characters are reprehensible, but we human beings have, we have all the signs to us. Uh, and we, we kind of censor ourselves. Oh, we must, you know, it's like me in awards. And do I like awards? Do I not like awards? Yes, I do like awards. But then again, I would never admit I like awards. So I don't like awards, you know. Mm. So in a sense, it's the same with the reprehensible nature of it. People are hooked on bad behavior. They love bad behavior. And it's great drama. You know, it is great drama. I mean, uh, I mean I've got so many examples of of people coming up to me and say, can you tell me to fuck off? <laughs> you know, and you're going, I mean, the, 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 the most extraordinary example, and I've quoted it so many times, so you, it's, it's now out there now, is I went to a, I did a film recently, which was a thing called The Etruscan Smile, which was called Rory's Way Here. And it had a release in, in the US and in LA. And I was doing this play, I've just been playing Lyndon Johnson. So I had a two days, written in that I got off. They punished me by making me do 16 performances on the trot, but that's neither here nor there. So I flew to LA, and in, my, in the film is um, Rosanna Arquette, who's absolutely gorgeous lady, lovely lady. And Rosanna said, look, I'm having a Me Too thing tomorrow. I'm, I'm doing a book launch with Ronan Farrow. Would you come along? So I went to this thing, and it was full of people, and there was a lot of women there. So I finally, as I was about to leave, I found myself surrounded by all these women. Now, some of them, not all of them, but one or two did ask me to tell them to fuck off, you know. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I've had it in the theater, coming out of the theater and younger kids saying, with her boyfriend saying, can I video you telling me to fuck off? <laughs> so, you know, you go, well, this is a Me Too evening, mm. uh, and you want this white dinosaur to tell you to fuck off. There's something not quite right. That's right. It doesn't quite add up. But that is the human condition. Yeah. We can't really decide who we are. Are we angels or are we demons? Because mm. we, we vacillate you know, in, in our private thoughts between the two. And we, 
you know, we, sublim we sublimate our feelings. That's what, that's what that does, mm -hmm. you know. There's a lot of sublimation goes on, you know. That's why we enjoy high drama. And that's why people, you know, that's why people enjoy violent things because they, they you know, healthily, they get that out of their system. And it's the same with the show. Mm. The show actually promotes a sense of, um, of identification at a distance of something that is, oh, it's caca, nasty, not good, but oh, God, it's exciting, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you famously played Hannibal Lecter. I did. Which of, which of the two, Logan Roy or Hannibal Lecter, is the most psychopathic, do you think? Oh, no, Hannibal Lecter okay. is the most psychopathic. <laughs> no, Logan's not a psychopath. Logan's a, mis a misanthrope. Okay. He's not a psychopath. Even when he's like doing doing the really horrible stuff. Well, it's 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 untrammeled. Sure, you know that yeah. stuff is untrammeled. It's yeah. you know he's in a position when he can do that stuff, and he doesn't do it too often. But that's his, that's the fear that they have. Because they've witnessed that over the years. They've witnessed the boar on the floor thing. Yeah. That's not a I'm first thinking time. of the boar on the floor particularly, yeah. 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 I, I mean, the boar on the floor was the heart, one of the toughest episodes because it was tough for the writer. Yeah. Tony Roach, who brilliantly wrote it, said, I don't know if this is going to work. And I went, and I don't know if it's going to work either, but we'll have a go. And, of course, I got my rocks off. <laughs> you know, so it was, and it worked, you know, like yeah. gangbusters. It was just amazing. But at the same time, I'm going, mm, this is – but then this is, the, this, is the, this is the side of Logan that he keeps in check most of the time. Yeah. Except when, you know, the one thing he can't bear is treachery. And and he and he's already, if you remember, he's already had the he's already had the bear hug from season one with his uh, the eldest of his present family, Kendall, and that's he's seen that betrayal. Yeah. So he's you know, and that that has to go deep. You know, he can't he doesn't dwell on it because he's a man of action. He just goes on, mm. but at the same time, and then of course at the end of episode two, he turns out on its corner. Yeah. Know. Well, we'll see what happens in the Golden Globes and yeah. generally with awards. I'm sure awards will rain down and we've got season three to look forward to in 2020 yeah. of succession. Yeah. Thank well, you. Well, they write it. They're doing that now as we speak. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be busy. Yeah, yeah, we don't know when we're going to start. We're still waiting. Oh, really? We, you oh, know, we're like, you know, sitting in the oh, wings. Please, God, wind. start soon. Please, we need well, it. Well, it, it, they've got to write it. And, Fair enough. And to maintain the excellence, they need to. They need those six months. And six months is not much for 10 episodes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Brian Cox, thank you so much. You're welcome. That was Brian Cox. So, Succession. Boyd. Yeah, it's 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 just a um, it's a show that um as we were saying about the morning show in a way, it just I almost can't quite work out how they do it, how they do it so well, how it's flown, it's just kind of taken off. Series 1 I loved, absolutely loved it and I think it was a word of mouth phenomenon. It took a really long time, it was shown on HBO, made for HBO in the States, it took a really long time to arrive here and everyone thought maybe it's because it does really seem like the story of the Murdochs and at that point <laughs> Sky was still owned by the Murdochs, they don't know They don't now, which is interesting. Then it did arrive um, and they, they, uh, they showed it all in one go and it was one of the greatest binges ever because it was just, it just got better and better and better. You're, but it is about, as I think maybe Brian Cox explains, it is about a bunch of bellends, but it also shows the humanity. There are these little cracks of humanity in them. And in fact, the, 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 most, the best episode probably of this season, I mean, I thought the finale was incredible and because and it just 
pulled the rug from under you in the most spectacular way. But along the way, there was this episode with the boar on the floor, which was where where he humiliated, showed that he would go to humiliating lengths to show the power he has over his own family, where they're crawling around the floor like pigs, snuffing out sausages. It was like abuse, you know, and yet it was funny, horribly, disgustingly funny. And just the way it's put together, it's so authentic, you know, I think one of the hardest things to do in, in drama is to depict the media, is to depict how newspapers and TV news works and all of that. And just the whole, it, got, it captures the whole flavour. Everything feels absolutely real. The dial, It's got that heightened dialogue that, you know, Jesse Armstrong and Armando Iannucci have been perfecting through the years and things like the thick of it. And yet it's incredibly believable and real. The storytelling is incredible. It is it's just this fantastic, phenomenal thing. And I'm so, it's so brilliant that Jesse Armstrong, you know, he's, he's gone from, he's done lots of brilliant stuff, but effectively, you know, we know him obviously for doing Peep Show and he's gone from doing a, a legendary Channel 4 half-hour sitcom mm. with, they, with those people to doing one of the biggest, most ambitious, most glorious American drama series that we'll ever see. I do feel I must at some point, presumably after my Game of Thrones rewatch, uh, give this another go because should, I've seen idiot. I've seen I've not you know I've seen five episodes from season one. I saw the, the the premiere of season two, but I still I still struggle. I don't know why. It's ridiculous. There's something broken inside me. Yeah. Anyway, uh, right, that was succession at number six. At number five, the one, the only, Game of Thrones. How do you feel about this being number five, James? Um. <sighs> It's a weird one for me, and I talked about this on the Empire Review of the Year podcast. This year was, for me, as I went into it, it was about the end of the Avengers Infinity Saga, it was about the end of the Star Wars Saga, Mm. and it was about the end of Game of Thrones. And these are three big fixtures in my life that, over many years, have become an integral part of my... Identity. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, and and going into this... two have let you down. (laughs) And it's 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 been quite the up and down ride. But with Game of Thrones... It, this series for me was both the best and the worst of Game of Thrones. Like it had giddy heights, like The Long Night, which I thought was again not yes. everyone loved it. I thought that was an incredible hour and a half of television, you know. And some of the stuff that happened in it was just magnificent. And then there were other moments. Slight spoiler coming: The Bells, Boyd, you are the <laughs> you are the Bells End. Um, you know that that for Amazing. me just in infuriated me that whole episode infuriated me Clegane Bowl as a shameless fan service absolutely maddened me you know I hated moments of that but the season as a whole I still am satisfied with I still enjoy like I'm about to embark on a rewatch of the entire show to get through to that ending again. And I don't feel like in any way like I'm going to be let down by it. I'm looking forward to the final season in the same way I'm looking forward to the first and the second and the third and all of the others. Because while the show evolved over time and a lot of the things that I loved about how it reveled in this world and in these characters and how it would introduce complicating elements at every turn, you know, while a lot of that disappears and it becomes more propulsive and it desperately tries to get where it needs to I mean, I used this analogy on the other podcast where it's like, you know, they're going from A to Z and then they realise at the end of season seven they've only got to the letter G and they suddenly have to leap ahead to the end of the alphabet and I think that is jarring. But it's still a magnificent show and whether you think that final season gave you what you wanted or not, you can't take away that this is one of the greatest shows ever made and that its scope is unparalleled. And I I don't, I can't in my head think of a way they could have ended that show that would have satisfied everyone. I do think had they done a 12 episode season for the final season, everyone would have been a lot happier and they'd have been a lot better off, but money and stuff. Mm. So, Yes, I love Game of Thrones. Has it been 
the best televisual experience of my year? Yes, it has. And do I think it's the best TV show of the year? No, I don't. Do I, I think... love it when you ask ask your question, questions and answer them. <laughs> am I a bellend? <laughs> yes. yes, perhaps am I, I am. <laughs> but but I'm absolutely serious about this. Like I, like Game of Thrones is up there for me with the greatest TV shows of all time. Yeah. People, let's put it. Let's just cut through the crowd. People people <laughs> lost their minds over this season of Game of Thrones. They did. People are in- ridiculous. I'm sorry if you can't. See, cut, cut out the, the fact that you it didn't. They didn't do it the way you wanted them to do it. I'm not talking about you here. I'm talking. About you are, but sure. Fact, I'm talking. No, I'm talking about the really insane fans who were like, "We've been betrayed. It's ruined my life." You know, blah blah blah. blah. I'm sorry. Eight. The actual final episode, the finale. What happens? Who gets the get the throne? I loved. I thought it was a great. Thing to, way of doing it. it. I thought it was really brilliantly done. It worked. I thought it made sense. And I thought it touched upon, you know, what happened in the very first episode eight mm. years before. And I loved all that. Sure, there were things they could have done better. The, the big, the major flaw for me of the whole thing was the was Cersei being short, given short shrift. And she had her glorious moments in the in the penultimate season. I thought she was she massively let down mm. by this season. But everything else, including uh, the, the Daenerys stuff. Oh, bells. Uh, we're not going to relitigate that. <laughs> but I'm sorry, it was all perfectly valid. And it was still one of the best most brilliantly done things on TV and everyone lost it about it and it still does deserve to be up there as the best thing. Although it stands out as the only show in the history of this podcast that has caused Boyd to lose his shit. (laughs) (laughs) The bells were ringing, Boyd ignored them and continued to set fire to the podcast. (laughs) So enraged was he. If you enjoyed Game of Thrones and you didn't already listen to them, do go back to our Game of Thrones throne-splaining episodes Mm. where we do uh, spoiler special breakdowns of every episode as they air. That was a lot of fun to do uh, and those are available now. At... Number four, we head back to the HBO stable for Chernobyl. 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 <laughs> Pronounce it however you wish. <laughs> but the disaster show starring Jared Harris, uh, which was one of the most surprising shows of the year. I think, I think mm. this is the, mo- the most surprising, the biggest surprise in TV drama history. Wow. I, I, in terms of like oh. coming out of nowhere, <laughs> coming out of nowhere, telling a true story that we think we all know that feels like it's going to be a fairly grim, you know, you know, f- watch mm. and ends up being this absolutely the most riveting thing you've ever seen and the most kind of inf- um, it's unbelievably informative explaining stuff you never th- you never knew and the most incredibly entertaining you have to use the word entertaining yeah. about an unbelievably bleak thing that really happened and just brilliantly saving the storytelling brilliantly saving up the full explanation of what happened till that last episode the just the the way that it just it's like an object lesson on how to turn brilliant something that really happened into brilliant, brilliant drama. I, mm. I think it's just the fact that... So I'm not saying it's the best thing ever. I'm saying it's, one, it's probably one of the best things ever. But just the surprise of it. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. And the fact that it was written and created by the guy who did Scary Movie 3 and 4. <laughs> yes. With all due respect to Craig Madsen. Yeah. It did, it did come out of absolutely nowhere. We're like, well, what is this? Do we have to review this? And yeah. like, oh, this is one of the best TV shows ever made. What the hell is going on? Uh, and we had Jared Harris on this very yeah. podcast talking about it, even if I did spend a decent part of that interview talking about The Expanse with him but that's neither here nor there can we also say this is the year when James interviewed people and talked about himself we're really sorry Ashling B 
and uh, Roisin Conaty. <laughs> I mean, technically, that wasn't an interview since she was a co-host filling in for you. Okay, so uh, in, in all situations, interviews and just normal podcast business, James talked about himself. Yeah. Great. Glad we've cleared that up. At number three, the final series of Fleabag. Oh, oh, what fucking glorious, 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 glorious television. I have enjoyed this aired slightly after the UK and the US. And oh, my God, watching Americans lose their shit over mm. Fleabag has been one of the greatest <laughs> joys. I mean, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who started off the year in quite a strong position, has somehow ended the year being Beyonce, basically. <laughs> like, she is Beyonce. Um, that picture of her with Beyonce. the Emmys. I love that he pronounced yeah. Beyonce. <laughs> Beyonce. Beyonce. You had a go at me for saying Julia Ormond but it's Beyonce <laughs> but yes, has the picture of her at the Emmys with her awards yeah, with yeah. her glass of champagne that is big dick I energy mean, right there big yeah. dick energy I mean where do you start with this show right from the first episode the, di- <laughs> the, the dinner, dinner from oh hell um, where you know she has to fake a miscarriage um, by the way there's going to be spoilers all the way through this bit so just get over okay, it okay if you haven't seen <laughs> yeah, Fleabag with it. skip her awful her sister's awful American husband she has to fake a miscarriage to cover the fact she just found out her sister's had a miscarriage Um, oh Olivia Coleman is the awful stepmother obviously she meets the hot priest for the first time and the big talking point was the hot priest right Mm. Um, which I kind of am on board with but kind of not I I loved I loved Andrew Scott for what he showed us about Fleabag. Obviously, he's the reason in the end that she turns away from us. The the, the final shot is one of the best final shots in any TV show this year. It's remarkable the way they kind of use the fourth wall breaking that's been there all along. He's the first person who recognises it. I mean, the shock when he, for the first time, goes, who are you talking to? Mm. And, yeah. he can, and you go, he can see us, but then by extension, he can see her. Yeah. He sees her. He sees her properly. Like, oh my God, it's the most <laughs> romantic thing ever. Um, and, the, and the way that's then used when she walks away from us at the end um, is one of the most powerful, simple, clever and devastating moments in telly but actually the real love story wasn't between her and him it's between her and her sister played by Sean Clifford who is remarkable I mean again the way this show moves between emotion and humour the haircut scene right like (laughs) hair hair is everything everything (laughs) Anthony and she's like crying because she looks like a pencil and she and Fleabag does the thing that all women do to each other when one of them's worried about the hair which is you tell them it looks French because that's the only saving grace (laughs) for when you have a bad haircut but that that love story between the sisters and kind of this redemption of Fleabag that happens, but not in any cliche, heavy-handed way, just in these lovely, delicate moments where she starts to like herself again and starts to like the people around her. The ra- I mean, everybody talks about the writing with Fleabag, but Christ almighty, <laughs> it's just impeccable. Yeah. Absolutely impeccable. And she is... A absolutely outstanding writer of pretty much everything. And there was, you know, that weird dialogue around this afterwards about class and about, you know, this she's so middle class and that's why she kind of everybody celebrates it and all of that. But I think her writing transcends all of that for me. And I actually think it transcends gender. I think while there was some really interesting stuff about 
women and what it means to be a woman. And, you know, there's that amazing scene, which is, you know, women are built with kind of pain. But women are born with pain built into them. I thought it was like just an exquisite line. But she, her writing transcends everything to just being on this entire other level, which makes it universal. Mm. Um, Just incredible. Yeah, talk about Step Up. I I think I watched... I watched an episode again the other day because they're showing it on BBC One on, on Friday nights, you know, and um, the, I think it was the episode with Christian Scott Thomas uh, with, with the big presentation at her sister's <laughs> workplace where she drops this massive award and it's so brilliantly done. Every single moment is so brilliantly done. Like that moment where she drops the award, this massive gloss sculpture thing that her sister's like giving her to look after. She just fucking drops it as soon as she hands it over. And it's so incredibly done. And I don't think there's ever been, I mean, Series One, we, everyone love series yeah. one but i don't think there's ever been a step up like this because it just felt more somehow more cinematic more brilliantly made the the, the arrival of of um the, the hot priest i don't think there's ever been an arrival of a new character in a mm. show that has had such an impact and because andrew scott was so perfect for it mm. his charm and just sexiness and everything was incredible and i think i controversially think the first episode is the greatest episode I think I just don't. I think mm. it had it just to have them all in that restaurant and the whole thing going on with the miscarriage and ev- and the, just the the punchiness of it and the <laughs> and the uh, actual punching the actual punch punching. just brilliant and remember that, that moment like the moment where Andrew Scott they talked about in in the launch when when they were all interviewed about it on stage and she he, she talked about how she changed stuff right up until the last minute in episodes because she's constantly trying to work out better lines better things and she had to change the line where Andrew Scott I think one of his earliest lines is when he's saying I'm a priest. Um, blah 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 blah, and they're like, "Why and why have you why have you done that?" And he says something like, um, "In the original, and he can't talk about his brother." Mm. And they say, "Why can't you talk about your brother?" And in the original script, he says, "Because he's a cunt." And the BBC people didn't want a priest saying the word cunt, so they changed it to "Because he's a paedophile," and they let them go with that. <laughs> and all that's just the the, the 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 her skill at just getting these lines, writing these lines for people, and casting them for people was just is incredible. So I think that first episode episode is one of the greatest episodes of TV ever. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the the other elements, the the bit in the, the confession scene mm. and the finale and that last moment is just so incredible. But that first episode, I just think, is incredible. It's like an object lesson in how to do mm. 25 minutes of TV. I agree wholeheartedly with everything you both just said. <laughs> um, that was Fleabag at number three. At number two, hashtag save the OA. <laughs> It's the OA, the, our dearly departed OA. Boy, does it still hurt as much as it did the moment they Netflix yeah, oh, bastards gotcha. cancelled it. I'm not going to bang on about it all over again, but just to, yeah, I mean... We did, we, we did a spoiler special. We, we did. We did an OA spoiler special. Airwaves. And I, I strongly recommend, A, you watch season one and two of the OA, and then you you do listen to our spoiler special that we recorded earlier this year with Zal Batmanglidge and Britt Marling. I have, I'll tell you what, though. I've come to terms with, with its loss, and mainly because it has the greatest single ending in the history of, I keep saying, in the history <laughs> of TV ever. And I think it's so brilliant that somehow, actually, if it hadn't have been that incredible and that, groundbreaking and bold and one of the most spine-tingling moments that I've ever seen on TV, then I think it would have been, been like, oh, but now I need to see how it all plays out. But now I feel like somehow I'm kind of, it's, it's perfect in a way that it's ending on this incredible thing. Mm. Like how, and then now you're left like, well, what does that all mean? And I, fuck knows. But having said that, if tomorrow it was announced that Apple TV has signed them <laughs> up to make seasons three, four, five, then I'll be fucking thrilled. Yeah. And why they haven't, those beyond me. No, the OA is, is a magnificent achievement and we are all lessened by its departure. 
Well, that was number two, the OA, which leads us to number one, our show, the official pilot TV show of 2019, which is, without drumroll, but with a lot of blue penises, Watchmen. I think, yeah, this, I mean, I would have the OA number one personally, but that's because I'm obsessed. But I think I don't think I've ever been as bowled over by a show since the fucking leftovers mm. um, from the same showrunner. Damon Lindelof is Damon Lindelof. What a, what a turnaround from annoying annoying me intensely with Lost <laughs> for six years, <laughs> six fucking years. And it's not entirely his fault mm. that Con Q's involved and JJ Abrams. I mean, they all take responsibility for that. There are people who think Lost was brilliant. <laughs> I am not one of them. It fucking irritated me so much. But I think he's turned it. He now creates TV where he does answer questions and he plants unbelievable twists and fantastic narrative reveals but he does it in such a way that is extraordinarily ambitious and different to the way you expect n- normal drama to work he plunges you into these things and you're like what the fuck is going on and then but the, then you do work out what's going on you know maybe one or two episodes later and I love that He's, mm. he, it's just incredible I don't know how he does it I've read interviews with him where he says he doesn't really know how I do it either <laughs> he's very like honest about his process it's like I, you know I kind of hope it's going to work and stick together and then and sometimes it does, and yeah. I'm amazed. He's really interesting about his 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 work. You know, he's he's got a little bit of that syndrome of like, I'm not sure if I should really, I am good enough to do this. But the ambition of it to turn an iconic thing that fucking people are so obsessed about Watchmen, people, fans of the show feel you shouldn't even do a, a film or a TV series. I know, like people have said, you know, it was a disgrace that they even did it. Yeah. But actually, to capture what the thing was all about and turn it into something about race in America, which is the biggest th- issue in America, and yep. has been, you know, from, for a lot, most of its history, and is more, now more than ever. It's just incredible, and just fun. It's just absolutely mm. brilliant fun, anyway. A show that you don't need to have seen the film or really read no. the graphic novel for. You can pick it all up. It's a standalone, literally a standalone piece, because he did this as a single series. Mm. He had no intention of continuing it. It stands on its own. Given how successful it's been, I imagine he will be encouraged to come oh. up with another season. But yeah. certainly that's not what this is. It, it, it stands on its own two feet. It's own two big blue feet, but uh, it's uh, it's 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 an extraordinary piece of non-linear storytelling in the way that all the pieces are presented to you and make no sense and gradually fall into position as the show goes on. Uh, we, and it has two of, I would say, the best episodes of any show this year: uh, episode eight and episode six. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable. Six, a kind of flashback episode. And to be fair, both of them were flashback episodes. But eight in particular, the way it uses linear time or not, as the case may be, is, I mean, <laughs> I just, the, just the audacity of writing a screenplay like that just blows my mind. And both of those were were incredible. It's beautiful. It's use of colour. It's it's use of palettes. It's use of, of, of bold. Your, your Abdul Mateen's blue knob. You know. <laughs> it's blue knob, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I, I'm almost at a loss for words. Out of it. it's, uh, it's use of imagery is incredibly strong. And its use of almost heightened sort of very comic-led imagery to talk about incredibly serious social issues while still telling a story that is drama, that is thriller, that is sci-fi, that is all of these things wrapped into one and also funny and absurd in places as well. There are so many different tones at work here and it's, it is an absolute masterwork of television. It really is. Um, and who, who, who'd have thought 
is what I'm saying. Yeah. Who'd have thought? It's quite funny that he's. I did. He said in a big interview he was definitely not going to do a second season. Yeah. Oh, but they can do. They can do a second season if they want. HBO, but someone else can do it. And then the next day he went back on. He went. Oh, actually, I could showrun the yeah. second season. He will. Of course he will. Second season will be announced any day now. I bet with him as showrunner. Yeah, I think. I think every show we've talked about on that particular list should be considered essential viewing. Uh, and if you don't have plans over Christmas, and frankly, even if you do have plans over Christmas, I would suggest thoroughly cancelling it and making sure you watch all of those. But, and I can't emphasize this enough, those are not the only great shows that were this year. I, I said, oh, I'll, I'll jot down a few uh, also that nearly made the list. And I've got a list twice as long as that of shows that I thought were brilliant this year. Uh, and, and, and I'm sure you guys do as well. You know, from Sex Education, which I'm almost, it boggles my mind that that didn't actually make the list. Sex Education, the... It, you know, apart from Chernobyl, one of the most surprising shows of the year. I thought it was a nothing half-hour comedy thing. It is not a half-hour comedy. It is an hour-long comedy drama. It, it's beautiful. It's surreal. It's amazing. It's well-written. It's funny. It's touching. It tackles key issues. Uh, I've watched season two now as well, but it's embargoed, so I can't talk about it. Sex Education, I think, is, a, is phenomenal television. What else is there? Euphoria, you mentioned, Boyd? Yep. I, I would definitely have Euphoria in my mm. top 20. Afterlife, which isn't even on your other list. Ricky <laughs> you idiot. Afterlife, yes. Yeah, which was one of the best things Ricky Gervais has ever done. Um, can't wait for season two. Um, absolutely brilliant. I love the fact that you've called the politician the politician on your list. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be on my list. I didn't enjoy the politician that much. No, fair um, enough. Uh, it probably wouldn't have been on my list either, actually. Yeah, I mentioned. I want to mention Alan Partridge because it seems yes. so long ago. Who the like, hell is who that? The funniest moment of the year by far was that. That what? I mean, I just honestly, I, I watched that. I rewatched that. I on watched a regu- it last week. <laughs> I, I watched so that episode I. last week. So did I. And I just, I actually think the whole series was fucking amazing. But almost because it was so relentlessly him in the studio in that format. Mm. It was quite a lot. I felt people felt it was quite a lot to deal with because previous versions of Alan Partridge have been more like a traditional sitcom in a way. And le- there was something quite intense about this version. I absolutely lapped it up and loved every minute of it pretty much. Mm. But other people didn't. And it, I haven't seen it in that many people's best of the year list. I think mo- people felt disappointed by it. But I absolutely <laughs> can't get enough of it. And I rewatched it regularly. And that moment. And the episode two, which was their Me Too episode, I thought was fucking genius. So yeah, that is a big one for me. Big Little Lies, Terry? Big Little Lies, which obviously had some controversy mm. this year, but I know you enjoyed this. I thought it was great. Particularly, James. Um, but also Catastrophe, which mm. we should talk about, mm. which finished and was just, I mean, absolutely superb. I want to talk about the capture, which... Oh, the capture. I mean, the capture. Was it the best television <laughs> No. Was I obsessively waiting yes. for it to drop every week? Like, I was literally brilliant. unable to sleep until I'd watched it. <laughs> that was it, proper guilty pleasure, though, wasn't this it? This <laughs> was BBC kind of Monday night thriller nonsense at its absolute <laughs> best. And I just want to say... Gold Digger. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, Gold Digger, another guilty pleasure. Yeah. Uh, Motherland, also from the Motherland, Sean Morgan stable. Yes. I loved the second series. I think the second series was even better than the first series and had brilliant... Ep- the one where they all went off for a weekend to this house and everyone fell apart. Oh, my God. was just oh so gosh. brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Every member of that cast is incredible. What, you know, incredible team. Stranger Things. I mean, I won on set of Stranger Things and I have the time of my life and then to watch it 
player. I thought it was the best season yet of Stranger Things, and that's not even in our top 20. Yeah. And that's, you know, Netflix's biggest show, really. Yeah. That's the thing that's really caught on above anything um, in their whole slate, and it still it works absolutely brilliantly. I want to give a big shout-out, obviously, to Stephen Knight C. In, uh, <laughs> one you of stand alone. The greatest things on even Apple Stephen TV+. Even Stephen Knight Plus. doesn't think it's that that's good. That's not true. You are the, the only person anywhere in the world talking about this. No. It has been. It has been. I've seen it on some worst lists. It's not. It's fucking magnificent, and I think people just either don't get it or didn't press on with it. I don't. Oh, the, the finale. Don't I mean, the whole world doesn't get it, but don't worry, don't worry, because James the, does. The problem is, you watched it, Terry, but you didn't see it. Oh, um, the, fi- the finale of that show is absolutely magnificent. They have already renewed it for season two, and Tamakti Jun, uh, the witch finder, is my spirit animal. That's all I'm going to say. My God. Okay. What else have we talked about? End of the fucking world. Yeah. Yep. Great, great show. His Dark Materials as well, which is obviously a big temple BBC show, which is kind of... And speaking of which, uh, World on Fire is another one, isn't it? Yeah. And there's a lot of good comedies um, that because you don't understand comedy, we're never going to stand much of a chance to make it. Living With Yourself. Yes, um, very good. Ashley B. Double Bill of This Way Up was brilliant. Yeah, this Way Up Game was very Face good. was brilliant. Yes, Shane Conti, so very, very good. Um... Uh, Veep was phenomenal. Veep finale, the last ever episode of Veep is one of the greatest episode finales of recent years. Yep. Absolutely incredible. Kind of just horrible, nasty, brilliantly disgusting behaviour by Julia Lou Jeffries character and it just worked incredibly well. Barry. Barry, was yes. great. Had no, that brilliant no episode. Hank. Had that fight episode which was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Giri. affair finished? Yes, the affair, the affair finished. finished. Have you seen all the controversy? Yeah, just breaking oh. now, breaking controversy. Whoa. <laughs> I was, I was reading that yes. at 2 a.m. with through my fingers. What a story. Um, but they, I mean, also just did some really weird, out there, interesting stuff. The penultimate episode was absolutely bananas. Um, the finale was great. I mean, it just, that show, and we've talked about this before, after going completely off the rails and becoming shit quite weird and quite quickly um, got massively back on track and, and just very 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 satisfying final season and I've said this before but if you gave up on the affair um, which I think a few people did jump back in for the final season it, it, it ended beautifully uh, Giri Haji we've mentioned briefly The Walking Dead had a pretty good year this year if anyone is still watching that yeah. <laughs> um, what else have we got? Uh, the Crown. The possibly Crown. a contender for best episode of anything is the Apple oh, Fan episode. Apple Fan. Absolutely oh. incredible. And it's so split people. Like yeah. we we gave it five stars in Empire. Ollie Richards did an absolutely fantastic review of this, but a lot of people saying these kind of historical inaccuracies, the yeah. tone, the like people have really struggled with this. That Abby I am completely with you though, that Abby Fan episode is just utterly yeah. remarkable. I like somber, middle-aged, yeah, um, muted queen. She worked. Totally, for me. I really, I did as well. Yeah. I also, I thought Prince Philip was. I, I really loved the version oh of Prince Philip. I think it was great. And Charles, Joshua yeah, Connor. Exactly. Yeah, Connor I don't know. Is... I, th- I thought it was the best season. Criminal. I very much enjoyed Criminal on Netflix. Yes. Oh, yeah. At least the three episodes in English I very much enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, but that was a that was a bizarre concoction of a show. But I thought that was that was very good. Also, State of the Union. Those little ten-minute episodes with mm-hmm. Chris O'Dowd and Rosamund Pike. That was fucking great as well. Completely. Um, home, uh, home. Yes. Rufus Jones is home. Yes. Again, we're talking about great sitcoms. I can't believe we didn't mention Game Face and we didn't mention Home. Yeah. Both oh, of those, both of those magnificent, magnificent comedies this year. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's one comedy that was magnificent that we didn't even, I know you've got, we may move on to section with shows we didn't review but should have. 
But Mum, which is the Leslie Manville, mm. uh, written by Stefan Golachevsky, who wrote Him and Her um, with uh, Russell Tovey and Sarah Soleimani, Mum was a phenomenon because people absolutely adore the show. And it was, and they sh- they put the final season out all in one go on BBC iPlayer. And, it, and I kind of binged on it. And it was absolutely brilliant. And one of Leslie Manville's, like, one of the greatest roles of her life. And she's just a legend. Wow. Uh, what else we got? Warrior, the show, the, yes. the Bruce Lee's show. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Lee's I mean, not that's not one of the top. No, but I really enjoyed it. it. I'm saying fine. that was a great show this year. <laughs> you know what we haven't talked about? We haven't talked about Peaky Fucking Blinders. Yeah, I mean, that was. You know, yeah. And that's magnificent as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, so that was a really good show. I mean, we should definitely take a minute to talk about the glory that is Carnival Row, uh, one of my uh, favourite shows of the year. I, I loved it. You guys hated yeah. it. But the flashback episode of that, yeah, I, I am it. absolutely yeah, there for. I just thought it was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, the long-awaited fourth season of The Expanse, which you both got to watch. I have watched the whole of that now. I, I don't even think it's necessarily the best series of The Expanse, but it is still great, as The Expanse always is. Marvellous. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jack Ryan, that's not to talk about because it was rubbish. Do you remember Chambers? Chambers was brilliant and oh before it got cancelled. Yeah. Where did that go? Literally, yeah. it got cancelled. But that was really, really good. Nobody watched that. No, nobody watched it and it died, which was a real shame. Uh, I got castigated in the in the Empire office for not having Bojack Horseman on our list, but obviously oh. haven't because fuck Bojack Horseman. <laughs> Don't yeah, listen that's... to those people on Empire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, good Fight and Billions this year we had as well. Great stuff there. Umbrella Academy, that kind of came and went, didn't it? Mm. Remember Pure? Pure was yep. really good as well. Oh, yes. I'm hoping there'll be more of that, but I don't know for a fact. Uh, Mayan's MC was this year, and there's been a second season of that in the States. Uh, obviously, Kurt Sutter no longer on that show, but mm-hmm. the less said about that, the better. The final seasons of the the Marvel Netflix stuff, so Jessica Jones and Punisher. Punisher, I enjoyed, I think, more than Jessica Jones, but uh, <laughs> that's all finished now. Um, the Passage, remember the Passage that we enjoyed? That also got cancelled. Passage on Fox, the one, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Vampire's Future, The Little Girl. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that died as well. Did you mention Mindhunter season two? Uh, I don't think I have, no, Mind but Hunter Mindhunter two, was very, I mean, very good. Like, like, I'll say this about Mindhunter season two. If that come out five years ago, it would be the greatest thing on television ever. <laughs> now it's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, Mindhunter. It's like this incredible <laughs> yeah, series. Well, it's an unbelievably daring, bold, yeah. fantastic thing about real-life serial killers. I'm just like, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I watched all of that. That was great. Uh, obviously, Luther was back this year, of New Year's Day, so it was a while ago, but that was a really, really good season. Enjoy that and also and I want to point this out so The Rook now we didn't review The Rook on Stars Play mm. uh, because Stars Play themselves didn't seem to know it was on no they didn't but um, I have started watching The Rook and I watched I'm Same. halfway through the first yeah. episode That it's really fucking yeah, good yeah I've watched it as well it's great yeah it's yeah, really. uh, it's got loads of good people Jolly Richardson Adrian Lester's in it um, it's um, weird it's weird how that's just gone to this chat to the chat they don't seem yeah. to know it was on their own Olivia channel, Munn Stars like Black. it's really good just people say. it's br- like because the, the setup feels a bit oh it's some shit sci-fi channel thing but it's not it's British it's really rooted in reality I'm loving it so that's really good The Rook Um, so yeah there's Mm. been a lot going on this year a lot going on we had uh, messages from readers saying you know we didn't review Four Weddings and Funeral we didn't do V Wars we didn't do Daylight although apparently that's been cancelled but people seem to like that as well Daybreak Daybreak you mean Daybreak see I don't even know the name of it Daybreak (laughs) is is pretty incredible because I've watched some of Daybreak yeah that was another of these Netflix shows they didn't give us to review and it's like a post-apocalyptic high school teen thing that's incredibly ambitious and visually unbelievable and it's gone and it's already been axed yeah Yeah. Christ the churn on these things is quite extraordinary oh yeah there's been a lot happening I think it's safe to say. Okay, but before we before we end the show, because we are running out of time and we'll soon be turfed out of the studio, uh, we do have some questions that I can throw out there from people. Uh, let's see what we've got on the list. Well, see, this will be one for Boyd. Um, 
at DGR24. Which TV, which was cancelled, would you bring back? Answer, the OA. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, <laughs> That's answered sorry, for you. That's, uh, yeah, exactly that. Um, from Easy Garrett, with both Fleabag and Mum bowing out with two fantastic finales that stayed true to the characters without being cheesy, what were your favourite finales of 2019? Succession for me. Feep. Those, I think those two I would pick. Mm. The OA, as you would obviously have well, in there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Morning show. Mm. Ah, morning show, yeah. yes. C for me. Thanks very much. Uh, <laughs> You're just going to answer C Yes, everything. C. Yeah. Everything for me is C. Do you see? Do you see? Um, <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, what that, just happened? Yeah. Was Sorry. that even the theme tune? No, I was going to be Event Horizon. <laughs> I didn't. That's, that's from another podcast. doesn't matter. Um, what was the most underrated show of 2019? Carnival Row. Next. Uh, no. Anyone? Anyone? Anyone want to champion something underrated? First class, Deadly Class. Remember Deadly Class? That was pretty underrated. I enjoyed oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Got cancelled. Yeah. I think I don't know if it's so much being underrated mm. as a lot of stuff fell through the cracks or went mm. below the radar because the quality is so amazing and there have been some massive shows with massive talent on either the show running or the acting side this year that I think maybe in previous years when things have broken through or there have been more word of mouth things, I think they're much harder these days. Mm, but I, I feel like generally speaking this year, things that have been really fucking good have, have kind of been recognised as such. Although I do, I mean, one more thing about the OA, it is incredible, I think it's incredible how few best of list it's on so looking at the American critics particularly Fools. I think it's outrageous I think it's like they've forgotten it because it was cancelled so controversially the correct answer to that question is C um, Felicity asks what caused the most intense battle between Terry and James on the podcast this year oh, in life or take, in TV oh, yeah, well, quite. I mean take your pick I mean one of them was probably whether or not Not Down the House was a TV show oh or a God. film yeah. <laughs> that was pretty intense <laughs> We've really fought over that much. I or, think this is or, a myth. A, or a counterpoint, I don't think we've not fought over anything and it's oh, just yeah. become normalised. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't think we've, we've agreed largely on most things, right? I can't think of a show that one of us has hated and the other one's really Yeah, hated. I don't think there's been that. I mean, no, I don't think even the ones that I've loved and you roll your eyes at, you haven't necessarily hated them. So, okay. Okay, good. Um, what? Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sci-Fi Stockbroker. What was the worst show that came out this year that Boyd thought was good? Well, <laughs> <laughs> take Thanks. your fucking pick. <laughs> I mean, the late arrival of that is Sticks and Stones, which most people seem to absolutely hate. Yes, because it's terrible. Although I have seen people turn it around already and are what? saying, giving me the credit for pointing out that it's no, incredibly entertaining. But they're and saying it's so bad it's good, but you never no, made that no, argument. No, 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 no. They're saying it's very, it's very, it's almost excruciating to watch because it is really, really stressful. It is stressful. It is very. It's stressful. not a comedy, James. I will say. It <laughs> yeah, you missed that, Terry. Me reviewing what I thought was a comedy, which is actually billed as a psychological thriller. <laughs> and I was like, it just wasn't funny. And boys, like, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> so good. Oh, God. Right. Um, oh, someone says here, I've cut the name off a lot of these tweets, sorry. Um, why isn't Expanse on your best list of the year? Well, that's an excellent question. I don't really know what to tell you there. Um, will 12 month window at BBC iPlayer kill Britbox? I don't know what that means. Will what kill Britbox? No, that's like, so Britbox has enough stuff, has literally have dozens, if not hundreds of shows it's got, and there's a, you can, stuff can stay on the iPlayer for a year now, but yeah. Britbox goes back so well, long, it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's I was going to say, thing. isn't the point of it the archives? Yeah. So the fact that yeah. I watch gold, basically, yeah. for Gavin and Stacey and... Uh, 
Alan Partridge and Gavin and Stacey means that I'll just watch that on BritBox. Yeah, exactly. At uh, Bod asks, am I the only person to have watched Counterparts? Um, no, and it's been on my list for ages and I've really, really wanted to see it. It's a science fiction show starring J.K. Simmons. This looked really, really good and I was poised to watch it and it got cancelled. And as ever with me, when a show gets cancelled, my desire to watch it wanes mm. because I'm like, well, it's, I'm not going to see how it ends. Mm. So I, I will still watch this at some point because it does look great. So no, you are not the only person and I will be joining you at some point. Uh, another question here. How important was the rise of Apple TV? TV to this year's TV viewing as all of their output has been second to none. See, they said see, the morning show for all mankind, servant, blah, 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 has been head and shoulders above most offerings this year for outstanding drama. I think there's a, a solid point here. I don't recall seeing anything launch with quite such a selection of great shows. But I don't think it's changed the landscape yet because I don't think it has the scale because I think it launched without an archive and it launched with a very, deliberately, with a mm. very small number of shows. And they've and stopped now. And it's much. heavily curated. So they, mm. they dropped a few things. We all moan about, oh, you know, some streaming platforms, Netflix, have way too many things and a lot of them are so shit, but we have got used to a volume of content that we can sift through and pick from that feels like it's unending. Mm. And I think people say they want curation, but I think when something launches with such a small number of shows, it becomes hard to justify. So I don't know what you guys think, but I feel like often when I'm talking about Apple shows, I'm not talking about it to the biggest group of people because they're... No one's watching them. Not everybody's watching it yet. And I think until they get a real volume of numbers it won't change the landscape as we know it. I think there have been some amazing pieces of television we've talked about, but beyond that, in terms of how it's going to impact other people or how it's actually changing TV, Mm. I don't think we've seen any of that yet. No, I agree. I think they've essentially... Once the morning show is finished, C is already finished. They've is set and servant finishing. They're like they're, there's no reason now to go back to it for me. Like mm. I don't see myself going on Apple TV at any point over Christmas mm. because I've watched all the good stuff that's on there. So you got to hope that they keep this up and there's a consistent rollout of equally. But that's good shows you. Next that's year. you have to separate the fact that actually there's still episodes people are going to watch of um, okay, granted, of servant, but, but there's and not the much left. Playing out and week C week. has played out. I know. I know. But you I know, think in the real world... By the time are... this goes out, Morning Show will have played out. <laughs> but anyone who started watching The Morning Show and Servant right, by the time, w- will have loved the fact that week by week they're yes, still great. Granted. But I do think it hasn't had the penetration. No, no, like, not that many people no. are you know, actually I watching agree. Apple TV+, Plus, and they should be. Um, Phil Daniel asks, what was the one show you guys didn't review that you wish you had? There have been quite a lot of these. Well, Mum, we should have fucking reviewed. Mm, I, I would also put The Rook is one that we should have reviewed as well. Um... But there's so many shows. You've got to make judgment calls. What are you going to do? We didn't review uh, season two of The Kaminsky Method either, mm-hmm. uh, which we loved season one of that. So that should have been really good. Um, yeah, stuff will always fall through the cracks. Uh, SDC asks, how much are you looking forward to forgetting all 2019 TV and getting Picard in 2020? Uh, a lot, actually. Quite a lot. I think that's aimed just at you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe. The Rebel MC tweeted me saying, what are you most excited for in 2020, by the way? What are you most excited for in 2020? Uh, save Me Too. Oh, so am yeah. I. Is Marcella coming back in 2020? Yeah, I think Marcella's yeah, Marcella, Save Me Too, A Strike, the Lethal White series yes. of Strike, very yes. excited about Holiday yes. Granger back again. Yeah, I am, and I am, because I'm obsessed with these two people, I'm really looking forward to the trip to Greece with um, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, because I love the trip series. Terry, what depressing <laughs> shit do you have on your horizon? <laughs> um, Afterlife Season 2, yes. I'm super excited yes. for, and... Uh, 
the morning show season two, which has mm. to come back next year, right? And the yeah, servant, yeah, they've already confirmed that, yeah. 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 And the servant season two. Oh, just give me all the yeah. like season two. Yeah. Talking about doing like six series, isn't six, it? Six. I, think, I mean, yeah, I don't know how yeah, that's going to work. They've yeah. agreed to, Fucking hell. which did put me off a bit because then I was yeah. like, oh, we're not going to get anything approaching a resolution for ages. But you know. Um, also, Sex Education season two, which I've yes. already seen, but. Yes. Let's. I can't review, but I think it will be really good. Um, and, of course, Picard, which will be the best thing ever. Henry Davis asks, what show that you would not... This is a really good question. What show that you would not have watched if you didn't do the podcast, i.e. one that doesn't fall into your normal taste, did you really enjoy? And this, actually, I think, personally, has been one of the best things for me about doing this podcast, in that I have been dragged kicking, screaming, and often crying out of my comfort zone <laughs> and forced to watch Terry's television. And at certain points, things like The Virtues, things like When They See Us, things like, um, you know, I Am. Like, I would never have watched these shows, and they're incredible. So I have, I don't like to have my horizons broadened, and I resisted at every turn. <laughs> However, it has happened, and I'm somewhat grateful for it. Well, and I enjoyed an episode of The Expanse. You saw Fire Escape. I saw fire, which oh god, which one's which? Which one's Fire Escape is one with the Muppets. Okay, no, no, I did not like Fire Escape, but I did. I I have developed an appreciation for things that I will probably still never love, but I can acknowledge their quality. Good. I'm bored. Watched everything anyway, so it's made no difference. And he likes it all anyway. (laughs) Oh, oh, one thing, one show we didn't mention in our big list because we haven't reviewed it yet because we're recording this prior to our last podcast of the year is The Witcher as well. But uh, I loved it. We'll get into that, or you will have already heard us get into that on the podcast where we review it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there are certain things that I will be forced to watch that I will never love and will only serve to entrench my correct views about. Certain things. It's magnificent. Witcher for life. Right. Nearly there. Nearly there. Uh, Russ Eckel asks, what are the panel members' favourite non-English language series of 2019? That's an interesting question. I, I Eight days is probably mine, I would suggest, for a non-English Money language. heist. On Money Netflix. heist. The Spanish is fantastic. Any calls for Gamora? Yes. yes. Gamora is oh brilliant. God, in fact, yes. Gamora should be in the top 20. What yeah. about... I just realised. Steady. I didn't understand a word of it, but I mean, literally. It's... <laughs> I don't speak Italian either, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I understood it better than. Do you remember the first season, uh, the first episode of the new season of uh, third season of Legion that I watched without my headphones in properly, and I thought it was all taking place in silence, like the character was deaf, and I thought it was this audacious bold bit of television making, but I just didn't have my headphones plugged in oh properly. My God, that's my favourite thing ever. <laughs> it's, a, it's a blank screen. They're really pushing the bar out. No. What about when I? Watched. Oh my god, what was it? Yes, you watched the wrong Arabic. show. It was What If. I what watched... If, and you watched some Arabic language show with the same name. That was incredible. And you were like, I can't turn If I turn it off, it's a bit racist, so I just have to keep watching. And they were so screaming. I was watching it at midnight, and my boyfriend was like, Why are we watching people scream at each other in Arabic? And I was like, I've got to watch it for the podcast. <laughs> the real actual way was one of the best cheesy loads of old shit as well. I know. Um, there's another show, and we didn't review this, but there is a show, I believe, on Netflix, which is a Korean language show, but uh, I heard really good things about that and haven't seen it. But 
That doesn't answer this question. <laughs> I'm babbling on about shows. I've heard it very, very good. Um, okay, and uh, just to close off, to close off, it, uh, Lizzie Campbell asks: If you couldn't afford to keep all the different subscription services based on their shows, which one would you choose to drop? No, you can't, can't pick Queeby James. Amazon Prime. Ooh. Same. But I'm Carnival sorry. Row! How yeah, will you watch season two of fuck Carnival that. Row? Nice. It has to be said, Amazon do lag behind <laughs> yeah, in this story. Right. They are doing Picard, which will be... Yeah. I mean, know, that's the saving grace for that. And obviously they have The Expanse now, so I couldn't drop yeah. them. Picard, The Expanse, Bosch, which I absolutely love. Vikings is finished, and also I could take or leave that. Uh, Jack Ryan, season two, I did not love that much. No. Once I got into it, I enjoyed the first episode. And as you recall, I was pure joy about the first one. But actually, that series really dragged. And when I got to the end, of it. I was like, mm, this is amazing. It's no it's quite good, but like, we, you know, we couldn't even remember for some reason they decided to do embargo. They make weird decisions. Yeah, though. I mean, they do have out. good stuff. I think Picard will really help them, but it is the least essential service. But Picard is yes. really a CBS All Access show that yeah. they've just acquired yeah, for the rest of the is. world. So even that, I'm not giving, I mean, <laughs> not giving credit I'm not even it, yeah. giving credit for that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just, it's weird how stuff isn't quite good enough. I mean, I know the answer to this. I guess The Boys is the, is, was the big Yeah, season, also The Boys, also The Boys. Other way around though, which one would you never give up? I mean, it's just. It, I mean, it is Netflix, but just because actually, there's still an incredible amount of really, really game-changing shows. Is it on Netflix, Netflix or is it Sky slash Now TV? Because what would you do without all the HBO shows? Mm, that's true. So that's a really difficult. Mm. That's a really difficult call. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I yeah, I, I feel a little that. bit like the most essential. Maybe thing in the year of Watchmen. You know, succession. Yeah, I mean, those are Sky. Yeah, maybe mm. you're right. Actually. I feel that until Sky lose the rights to HBO shows, when they inevitably at some point go to HBO Max, which you know, while they've renewed their deal at the moment, that's got to happen at some point. Mm. Until then, I think Sky slash Now TV has the sort of the cream of the crop mm. in terms yeah, of maybe. in terms of the greatest shows. But Netflix has had an extraordinary year, and Apple TV Plus is out to an, is off to an outstanding start. So, you know, we're spoiled for choice, really, aren't we? Spoiled for choice. Right. Um, true. That is the last of our questions from readers. Is there anything else you two would like to add before we say goodbye to this year, this podcast, and our sanity for the rest of 2019? I just want to say what a lovely year I've had talking to you two about telly. Aww. And talking to all of the amazing listeners and readers on Twitter. It's been an absolute joy to do it. Even to sit opposite you, James. <laughs> and be forced to watch absolute, two episodes of Fire Escape. An absolute joy. Yeah. I've had some fun. great um, feedback from loads of really interesting people. Yes. Yes, we have. We have. We've got some we've got some fans. Yeah. You know. James um, Corden still hasn't publicly endorsed me no. on Twitter, <laughs> unlike the two of you. But you know what? It's fine, James, it's fine. It's fine. Boy, do you have any any hot tips for Christmas television over the break? That uh, or Christmas New Year television that we haven't covered? Uh, it's all about Dracula for me. Um, uh, it's really it's really good. Yes, we haven't mentioned Dracula in this podcast again because we're recording this before well, we've reviewed it. Yeah, but... and that is New Year's Day, so that's strictly speaking. Oh, okay, fine. That's next year. Twenty twenty is twenty twenty <laughs> pure twenty twenty. Yeah. Did you know? Can I mention a comic? The, show, the goes wrong show is, is one of the funniest things I've seen in ages, and that's from the people who do the play that goes wrong mm. thing on stage, and and their TV version of that they've done a brilliant, brilliant job. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, I, th- I think we've given people more than enough things to watch over the Christmas slash New Year break. Uh, if you can make it through AR Top 20 and then the extended list of shows that we think are great, then really you should probably get a job. Now, 
I think that's it. That's it for both another episode of the Pilot TV podcast and for 2019. We hope you've enjoyed this year of podcasts. And if that is the case, and if you'd like us to continue to be present in your ear holes once a week, then please um, shimmy on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. And if you have friends who watch more than a healthy amount of television, why not get them to listen to the show as well? Remember, caring is sharing. Uh, if you have any thoughts, questions, or suggestions, you can address them to us on Twitter or Instagram at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. And while both this year and indeed this show are now over, you can rest easy in the knowledge that we will be back in 2020 to bicker over another 12 months of television, including the landmark event that is January 23rd's triumphant unveiling of what I think I'm safe in saying is 2020's undisputed pilot TV show of the year, Star Trek Picard. Live long and prosper. Pilot beaming up. <laughs>